0: I want to go to there. Skype! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie
1: doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
2: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes! 30 Hellens agreed. Never mind. Maybe the
1: dingo ate your baby, huh? It's a plan, actually. Would
0: you
2: believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, still
0: hearts to keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going?
1: Well, I am duty bound to mention that a thing that I did some work on is, uh, is premiering tonight. We're not going to talk about it on the show as that's an obvious conflict of interest and also I just don't think it would be cool. Uh, But it's – anyway, I did some uh, – how can I put it? Some music curatorial work on a show called 24-Hour Rental, which premieres tonight on the Super Channel, if you happen to get that, at 11 p.m. This mostly goes out to the Canadians. I'm not sure if it's airing in any form in the States. I think I would have heard about it if it was. Anyway, so that's my plug. I got it in there. It's over.
0: 11 p.m. Eastern.
1: I think – Eastern, yeah.
0: Okay, and that's on. That's airing on Tuesday. In case, you know, it's a podcast, if you're listening to this later in the week, maybe go back and uh, check it out and go, ooh, that music is very well curated.
1: <laughs> yes, if it's, if you missed it this Tuesday, I assume it'll be airing again next Tuesday. I don't think it'll be canceled that fast. <laughs>
0: We will not be discussing it on the podcast, but uh, let, I would I look forward to hearing if anybody checks it out. I haven't seen it, so I would be very curious what everybody else thinks.
1: And and seriously, don't watch it if you're at all squeamish in any possible sense, because it's probably the most offensive series in Canadian history. I'm not even exaggerating.
0: Interesting. I'm I, I've heard almost nothing about this other than just tidbits as you were working on it, uh, picking music and stuff. Uh, so I'm that I would not have guessed that based on our conversations, so I'm very curious. Anyways, later in the podcast this week, we'll be talking with Caroline Sita of the AV AB Club about the West Wing, which was a lot of fun. There's a a very distinct break between the three of us. There's a distinct line of of our reactions to the West Wing. Do you think people will be able to predict that, Simon?
1: Anyone who's heard, I think, more than two episodes of the Telverse, I think will be able to predict how that went down. I, I will say that... No, actually, just listen Just, just it,
0: it, it was fun I do need to mention, though Because I didn't in the DVD shelf And I can't believe I didn't I love Lord John Marbury Roger Reese, he's so good One of my favorite bit characters on any show I've put it in there Anything that you forgot to mention?
1: Uh, no, I think i pretty well covered my bases.
0: Okay. that's we, We'll be coming at the end of the podcast. We got a chance to talk with you guys a little bit about the West Wing this week on Twitter, uh, and we heard from a bunch of you about other things as well. We heard from Swan Ronson, who says, You may be seeking ideas for stuff to talk about in the next podcast with all the Olympics-dominating TV. I suggest you do a catch-up or check-in. I'm far from the target demographic, but gave it a try on a whim and was pleasantly surprised. What I expected, a cheesy teen show emphasizing clothes and romance. What I got as it unfolded was over the top. Palace intrigue with a few good actors making it better than you'd expect. I'm not claiming it is any kind of high quality show to be savored, but it has improved a lot from C stuff when it started to a B plus in the last two episodes. I think Kate, in particular, would get a kick out of Megan Fellows in episode ten, and the other two main actors, Coombs and, and Kane, are better than expected. And along with the show, found their footing over time. The weak point is the blonde prince; the actor's just not very good, but he has been sidelined lately, thankfully. In the genre of scene chewing roller coaster shows like Scandal, etc., it is improving and could use some attention. If you only have time to watch a few, I'd suggest the last two; it would give you a rough sense of things. And we also heard from Sean. This is at the website. He says he couldn't agree with Swan Ronson more, but if Arrow isn't being covered regardless of not having an episode this week the likelihood of a rain shout out is unfortunately low rain beats out downton abbey and the walking dead for me in terms of soap opera goodness right now so he has another thought as well but before we get to that what is the chance that you're gonna check in with rain this week you're asking me yes asking i felt you. like that
1: was i felt like that was directed at you um not gonna lie it's uh, is there a lower is there a lower number than zero? <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that there's there's not. There's negative, but I don't really know how that would work in terms of TV viewing. I will make an effort to check out the last two episodes of Rain, and if anyone wants to tell me a, a sampling of Arrow episodes that I should watch, having seen part of season one and part of season two, tell me which episodes from this season I should check out, I'll give you a max of three, and I will watch them, if at all possible, because I've I've been trying to give Arrow a shot at various points in its run Because there's so much praise for it amongst certain circles Of which I am one uh, And I just don't see it I don't feel like the performances are good I don't feel like the writing's good There are some actors on the show that I really like And a lot of people that I that I respect seem to really like the show I just don't see it So I'm going to give it another shot But I have to know which episodes you guys think I should check out
1: I just, I mean, for me personally, I just don't see how I'm ever going to get interested or invested in a superhero TV show. I just don't see it. I didn't see it with S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't see it with Arrow. It doesn't help in either case that I don't think the writing's there, at least from what I've seen. But it's it's just really hard for me to fathom.
0: <laughs> well, I do really like Supernatural. So I, there are plenty of those, like, CW kind of shows that actually I think can be really good. It's just a matter of whether the writing is where it needs to be, and the performance is where it needs to be for the show to work. And uh, at various points the Supernatural's run, it's been a really, really good show, and also a kind of terrible show. So, it, it, you know, I'm open to the possibility of Arrow being a good show, I just haven't seen it. So let me know which ones I should check out, what a, what a, a good example of the show working is, and that way I will have a sense of whether I should dive on board with it um also sean says the impossible question of the week i guess put me down for haruki murakami's four rat novels hear the wind sing pinball 1973 a wild sheep chase and dance 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 the question of the week last week was of course simon
1: uh right which uh, sort of literary property would you want to see adapted into a series or mini series format
0: he, Sean also says there's enough story for a full series if it's filmed at the pace of the Sundance Channel shows we've been seeing, and his second choice would be Cormac McCarthy's Border trilogy. Um, on the question of the week, Carl also says what a great question. It seems like there are a fair number of great sci-fi or fantasy series that could be the basis for good TV. I will be interested to see what MTV does with Shannara. If done well, that might make room for some other fantasy series. I didn't realize that MTV was doing Shannara. That should be that should be interesting. I've read some of those books. Um, he also says I know there was a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie that. Kind of flopped, but I think that universe uh, is always more of a fit for long-term storytelling on TV. I would welcome an update of that. I also think you can make a great TV series set in the Harry Potter universe because there's so many great characters and environments there. And there was there was a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV show. I am gonna just scandalize people by saying I didn't didn't think it was very good. Have you seen the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV show?
1: I feel like I've seen a little bit of it. It was a really long. T- My Douglas Adams fandom is very old. But uh, I remember it being incredibly faithful, probably to its detriment. I feel like if anyone's going to do that again, they may as well just use the universe as a kickstarting point and then just go somewhere totally different with it.
0: Yeah, that seems like that would be a uh, a better approach. It's just it's so 80s, The <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy show, uh, or it feels very 80s at least. Um and uh, it just didn't really work for me in a way that I was hoping it would after being such a fan of the books. But I'm sure there, I know it has a very strong cult following. Um, as for Harry Potter Universe, that's an interesting idea. I don't imagine jo- uh, Joe Rowling is going to you know, be up for that. But uh, but I think that's, there's a lot of space there for an interesting show.
1: I have no interest in Harry Potter. And it's <laughs> clearly never going to happen anyway.
0: Oh, it's hilarious! Of course, you have no interest in 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 Harry Potter.
1: It's for kids
0: and people who like good <laughs> things and happy yeah. things. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, moving nope. on. We also heard from Kyle, who said uh, about the the Golden Girls theme song, but the card attached would say Simon is right.
1: Yes, leave clearly it,
0: Leave it there Mario also dropped us a, a line to let us know that Thank You For Being Your Friend was a hit song in 1978 by Andrew Gold Before it was the Golden Girl Girls team song I didn't know that, did you know that? I did not I felt bad for not knowing that. Uh, this week also, of course, had the the premiere or debut of House of Cards Season 2. So we talked some House of Cards with Randy, Keith, Swedge, Carl, and Ron. And my review of all of Season 2 is up at Sound On Sight. You, uh, most of it is spoiler-free. There's one paragraph that is in bright, bold red letters, spoiler tag, that has spoilers. But the rest of it is spoiler-free. So if you're curious, you can you can check that out. Uh, We'll talk about House of Cards a little later in in the podcast. Also heard from Zhao. Do you have have any thoughts on David Fincher's future remake of Utopia? It was one of my favorite shows last year. It's quite unique. One of those few shows that is a true original. By the end, I was questioning everything and believing nothing. I didn't even hear about this show.
1: Nope. I... I'm a, I'm with you on this one.
0: It's a BBC show from last year, and somehow it fell through the cracks. So I'm I'm intrigued. We'll see if I can find some time to catch up with it. Uh, Talked The Walking Dead with Carl and Ken. Talked Scandal with Les, and uh, we got some great West Wing episode suggestions from Matt, Maeve, John, and Carl. So thank you for that. No new iTunes ratings or reviews this week. Maybe we'll get one this week. That would be nice.
1: That would be excellent.
0: But for now, let's take a break and come back with uh, a brief segment uh, looking at a few of these uh, new shows that are starting up this week after the Olympics wrap up. So we'll be right back with that after this.
1: This is an incredible opportunity. What we do is deploy a psychological strategy.
0: People react to a million little
1: things that we're not even aware of. Color red. Frequent touching. Pointy shoes. Mimicry. Testosterone. Change people's minds without them knowing we did it.
2: Like Jedi mind tricks. Like Jedi mind tricks, exactly.
1: Steve's on. You want to go dominate? Christian Slater. Sir, level just
2: below dominate. Mind games. Series premiere Tuesday, February 25th on ABC.
0: This week, we have a few shows starting up on NBC after the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. This week, we're going to have About a Boy, which is, of course, the new comedy from Jason Katims. On Sunday, Growing Up Fisher with J.K. Simmons will be starting up, also on NBC. And then next week, Tuesday, ABC's Mind Games will be, will be starting up. Unfortunately, you have not had the opportunity to see any of these. I've seen uh 3 episodes of about a boy 2 episodes of growing up fisher and 2 episodes of mind games what are you most curious about
1: probably mind games just because of the Kyle Killen involvement but that has a procedural look to it that I'm not all that jazzed by
0: yes mind games is the most procedural of Killen's shows so far and of course i say that having seen all what two episodes of lone star it's hard to really gauge that but compared with uh compared with awake Mind Games feels much more standard issue, and so it was definitely a disappointment for me. I, I enjoyed the cast, the main cast, that is, however, it's disappointing after Awake, which is a show that we both really enjoyed and felt was underappreciated, particularly by audiences. The, my issue with, with this one is that the cast Steve on as as a brilliant brother of Christian Slater, only of course he's quirky and he has, he has issues with obsessive compulsive and, and other, um, he, he's got quirks that make his social interactions very challenging and difficult. Um, so he, it's the, basically it's the monk syndrome that, you know, sort of gained popularity where it's a brilliant person who has problems, but it's, He's on full turned up to eleven. Steve's on mode, and it doesn't really work for, for me. The second episode they made available was actually the the fifth episode in in the production, and so it's a little bit later. I don't know if they'll be airing it earlier or later. You never know, you know, depending on on you know what the show and what the network is trying to prioritize. It could be the second episode of the show. It could be down the line, but that is toned down a little bit. By the the time you get to the fifth episode, but it's still there. It feels, unfortunately, disposable, the series, in in the couple episodes I've seen. And it doesn't have anything near the emotional uh, weight of either Lone Star, which, of course, was such a fantastic pilot, or Awake. Without that that family element, without that uh, strong... Hook and tie into the the lead characters that both of those two previous Killin' series has. It's it's hard to really connect. So I'm 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 disappointed in it just based on how much we re- did really love those previous two Killin' projects. Um, I'm hopeful that it that it can gain some traction. For those who don't know what it's about, it's about two brothers. One's uh recently out of jail for being basically being a con man, and the other one is uh a brilliant professor type who create a firm. And what they do is they cause people to change their mind, manipulate people through various elements, body language or positioning or making, creating situations that the person observes or is involved with to get them to change their mind to what their client wants. So there's an interesting tie in with with Lone Star and clearly Killen is interested in that element of con or manipulation or persuasion, you know, perception, all of that. There's some, some through line there, but it's just not very fun to watch people be manipulated, you know? And there's an element of, of, with the Zahn character of uh, being more positive, though Christian Slater character, not surprisingly, is more manipulative, but, uh, but still it's, the show doesn't have the fun that it, I think it needs, and the characters are still not quite there in the first couple of episodes. Maybe it'll come together in a better way later in the series, but in the season, that is. But uh, for right now, I was disappointed.
1: And keep in mind that this is a series starring Christian Slater, so there's a very good chance it's just not going to be watched
0: by humans. Yeah, it's interesting the way that uh, viewers really, as much as you know, he's a big name, viewers don't really want to watch him on their TV every week are are you going to to you're going to tune in for the pilot yes
1: i will definitely kill earned me trying it out but uh if you're not convinced by it that's usually a pretty uh awkward sign
0: yeah we'll, well i look forward to talking about it in greater detail with you next week on the podcast we also have growing up fisher and about a boy on nbc the uh oh, let's start with growing up fisher which stars jk simmons and jenna elfman as a couple who are divorced no mention is made of the eighteen year age difference. Seems very odd to me that they have JK Simmons and uh and Jen Elfman as exes and they're supposed to be rough I think they're supposed to be roughly the same age. I'm not sure. It felt that felt very odd to me. Um, but anyways, they have young children, and uh, the 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 tag of it or the hook is that J.K. Simmons is blind and uh, and has been passing as sighted for most of his life. Uh, he decides to come out as blind, get a guide dog, and everything. Uh, when when the the couple divorce, and the the Jenna Elfman character is sort of doing a second adolescence thing where she's trying to be the cool mom, uh, and they're, the the lead. Character who is narrated, um, who narrates the story, but as an adult, are these enough similar things that you've you see heard? What's happening here? The, our our listeners don't see what's happening.
1: I'm I'm slowly falling asleep.
0: Yes, it, it, this is nothing new. Unfortunately, I do again. I like all these these actors, but the the kid is way too. He's he's not a kid. He's written as an adult and it's uh he but he's supposed to be adorable and like 12 and you you believe him as a child he's supposed to be a normal kid but he does not talk like one and uh the performance is not the right spark of engaging for me to to really invest in the kid and, and this uh, is a
1: period thing too right or am i imagining that
0: no it's it's it is set now but uh, it feels like it one of these shows that has come out in the last couple of years that's trying to get the whole wonder years vibe so there's, there's, you know, I could see where that you might guess that based on the rest of the setup, but no, this is a very familiar show and I was not impressed with either of the, the episodes, the pilot or the other episode they made available. I'm sure people will like it because it's a very likable show, but it's, it's not funny enough and it's not interesting enough. So I will not be tuning in with more of it. About a Boy is, is much more successful as far as I'm concerned. I liked the movie. Have you seen the movie and what did you, how did you feel about it?
1: I've not seen the movie. I'm suspicious of Nick Hornby in general. So, I, do you know? Is this based on the film or is this based on the book?
0: Yes, it's <laughs> it's, it's basically a remake of the same. It's the same premise where you have a, a man-child of some sort uh, who has a a an American in this case who has a British woman and her son move next door. Or in this case, there it's like a duplex kind of thing where they kind of share the same. Half of the same house. And the the son, the precocious child next door, worms his way into the into the uh, life, to some extent, of the man-child. And is the about a boy, about the kid, or about David, in this case, David Walton, the actor playing the, the man-child. Uh, and only the thing with this one is, the kid is supposed to be weird in this show. And it's really telling how big of a difference that makes when you have... Too precocious, don't really talk like kid characters, and you can. There's a direct comparison, as far as I'm concerned, between going, growing up Fisher and About a Boy. In About a Boy, it works, and Great Fisher for me, it it doesn't. Uh, but Minnie Driver is really good, really fun and likable in that in that mom character role, and uh, and David Walton, it I he's been on a number of shows in the past couple of years. The networks keep trying to find a way to make him work, and I'm hoping that this will be it, because I think he does really fit very well for this character. Al Madrigal shows up as his friend, who is married with, with three young children, and there's a contrast there. Uh, it's very network, it's very sitcom, but I do think the central performance makes it work a lot better. And it's, I mean, it's Jason Kadams. He's very good at heartwarming when he wants to be.
1: Just to be clear, though, is this premiering on a Saturday?
0: Yes, it's a premiering on a Saturday, because it's premiering after the Olympics.
1: Okay, that makes it. But is it going to stay on no, Sunday? No, 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 no. Okay, it, just checking.
0: Yeah, it'll move to its regular <laughs> night the week after. And the same thing with... growing up Fisher is also, it's premiering on Sunday, but then it'll move to its regular night. I think, I want to say Monday for that, but I'm not sure. Uh, but yes, neither of these shows will actually be airing on the weekends, week to week. So are, are you going to check out Growing Up Fisher? Are you going to check out About a Boy? What, what are you thinking?
1: I'll, I'll probably check out About a Boy. Like I said, not a Hornby person, but uh I you know I Kadams wins out for me even though Parenthood has been a little bit wonky lately
0: There are a couple of shout outs to other Katem's shows uh are subtle ones that I enjoyed in uh, these these various episodes and uh we'll see whether they do that any of that again there was a an awkward kind of cameo or crossover in Crosby's poker game where David Walton was there as his character from About a Boy but they, they don't really it was it was kind of awkward we'll see whether they do anything like that on about a boy so far it's just been like name name dropping but um
1: well, there's all kinds of continuity nightmares that have been created by that web series that happened.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I started to watch the Crucifictorious one, but uh, I had to I had to pause in the middle. Hopefully I'll get back to that at some point. But but those are the, the new shows that uh, will be premiering in the next week or so. Next week, we'll also talk about uh, season two of The Americans, season two of Legit, and we'll talk about Mixology on ABC.
1: I'm so pissed that you have five episodes of The Americans and you haven't watched them yet.
0: I, I we'll be talking about it next week, you know. Don't want to get too ahead of the curve on that and uh, but th- I'm looking forward to that very very much. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about that next week. But for now, let's take a break and come back with our week in comedy. You're
2: breaking my heart.
0: This week in comedy, we have Rick and Morty, Me Seeks and Destroy, and Rick Potion Number 9. We have New Girl, Sister, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Full Boil, Broad City, The Lockout Girls, Beach House, and Looking Looking for the Future. And uh, you watched Rick and Morty. Checked in with it. It just got renewed for Season 2. Is that a good thing?
1: Uh, I think it is. The, the reason I, I want to check it out is because... I don't know if you've been paying attention to this or not, but a lot of people have been watching Rick and Morty. It's kind of shocking that it's just almost out of the gate, just a huge success, because I don't think any, anyone predicts that for Dan Herman projects. It's been beating network stuff at the same time that it's been airing, and it's on, and it's a half hour on Adult Swim. That's pretty damn impressive, at least in the demo. Uh, and I've also been hearing that it got a lot better, so I watched the last two episodes. As you mentioned, and yeah, I remember that your complaint about the premiere was that you didn't like the actual Rick and Morty relationship, that you felt it was abusive. And uh, yes, the show now at this point openly agrees with you. It d- doesn't think that it's a whole that it's a, a, a wholesome or healthy relationship. And the thing that I think works about the show is that it's it's weirdly pitched between being an anarchic, stonery, insane adult swim show and being something more like a Bob's Burgers, where it has a family relationship and is grounded and has an emotional core. Although it's a little bit closer to the former, I I, I feel like the, the, the places that it happens to find those bits of emotion are just really, really out there. Especially in um, Rick Potion number nine, which is probably the less funny, but I think the more effective of the two episodes. That gets really, really messed up in ways that I was not anticipating. So... I would say by the last two, three minutes of that episode in particular, I was much more sold on the show than I was previously. It also helps that Justin Roiland, Roiland's voice work, I think, has gotten a lot better since the pilot, where I, I feel like he was too intent on focusing on a couple of, of, of ticks and a lot of stuttering and stopping and and like weird little insertions as well as too much shouting. But that's not really an issue here. Also, uh, shout out to Tom Kenny who appears in um, me seeks and destroys and is it it just kills it he's so good and in particular there's a a running gag with those characters that i it'll either work on you or you think or you'll think it's the most irritating thing in the universe anyway i'm very pleased with what they're doing with that i'd be curious to see if if your issue from before is resolved by them going full full bore with it or if you're just going to be even more annoyed
0: well, hey, that is promising as far as I'm concerned. I'm more interested in watching it now because my issue with the pilot was that, that that was a big part of it because the show was treating it like it was a positive thing and it was so clearly hugely destructive. And if they're aware that it's not good, then, then that that works for me a lot more. <laughs>
1: No, like the, the way it works now is basically the show is about Morty trying to survive adolescence. It's just mm-hmm. it just so happens that the horrors of adolescence take the form of actual horrors or in the case of um, of portion number nine. And, it, it, you know, basically things get Cronenberg mm. as, as I, I like the way they use Cronenberg as a noun and a verb in that episode. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I think it's I, I think it's coming back next week again, I want to say.
0: OK, should we check in with it again next week?
1: Yes, we shall, or at least I shall.
0: Okay, I'll check it out and see what see what I think. A new girl had a sister this week, which introduced Jess's sister, played by Linda Cardellini, and I have missed her from my television. It was delightful to have her turn up and uh, sort of act as a nice contrast to the just the overwhelming and sometimes rather uh, frustrating Zoe Deschanelness of uh, of Jess, and uh, or just. I shouldn't say. Maybe she's not like this in real life, but the the public <laughs> the persona, persona, yes, yes. Uh, so that was that was just delightful. I liked the the soup. The whole dinner worked very well, and I look forward to seeing where they go with the CC stuff. Um, CC and Coach, if that's going to be all resolved, or if that'll be an element they, they bring back. But uh, it's so I, I we haven't really talked about this with New Girl, but I do really appreciate that they've brought in Coach as basically just another core character to the show. I think that was a good move. And um and and if they, you know, keep Linda Cardellini around for a few more episodes and just have her sort of recur in the way that they've had uh the rest of, you know, some of these other periphery characters recur. John Lovitz is back as Schmidt's Rabbi, which is which is nice to see, and Jamie Lee Curtis is back as Jess's mom. I like that it does feel like a world for these characters now because the peripheral family members do pop up in a way that most shows just on most shows either it's a family show and you never see or hear about or anything about their work life at all, or it's a work life show and none of them have any family you've ever heard of until that one episode that they pop up. So I really appreciate that new girl doesn't do that, that these do actually feel like rounded characters in that way. Um, can you think of another show that does that?
1: I mean, I feel like what they what they're, doing is instead of having just a constant stream of guests they're having more like a a repertory of guests or at least that's what it feels like they're doing so i, I think that's the that's the effect of, it's not like friends where you like oh this is the episode with so and so and then maybe they'll show up again in three seasons or maybe they won't uh you know they're doing something different with that and, uh, and you know they're popular enough that they can get people like jamie lee curtis to come back every six or seven episodes so yeah, it's just certainly a different approach And possibly a more effective one
0: It seems like is going to be around for at least a little bit I look forward to your thoughts On her performance of that character Should uh, should she Stick around and should you check it out But for right now let's move on to Brooklyn Nine-Nine Full boil and it uh, looks like Mary Lou Henner's going to be around for a while And I don't know if you can tell by my voice but that is a good thing As far as I'm concerned
1: Yeah she's fun I think it was uh, An above average episode for them mostly because It's the less they focus on Sandberg, I feel like the, it's better for them. It just is. It's. I don't think it's that Sandberg's bad. I just don't think he works really as the central figure. I think he was also a, a little bit toned down this week. That could have been my imagination. So so that was nice to see. Um, although I will say that there was there were two mace gags this week, and B99s was not as good as the other one. <laughs>
0: Well, we'll talk about that that other uh mace gag here in just a little bit. I also have to mention, I I, I think it was such a good move to to do this episode. I I thought it was really fun and uh, making Boyle a n- less creepy and not stalkery member of the cast. To changing that relationship with Rosa and not going the way that they always go in these kinds of shows where eventually she sees that he really is a good guy and not a creepy stalker and they get together. You know, I'm so glad they went a different way with it. And Mary Lou Well, they could still do that. They they could, but it really doesn't feel like they're going to, because if they were going to, what happened when he got shot or what happened when any of these other opportunities, this first season. So if the, unless they back, backpedal on that, I think this is a really good move. And I also have to mention just Andre Brower. Uh, describing gravitas was just wonderful. And uh, the next time I need to describe gravitas to someone, I'm just going to pull up that audio clip because that was, del- I just, it was wonderful.
1: Yes. I mean, I mean, that that storyline wasn't the funniest or most compelling, but I do think Peretti and Brower make a good pair.
0: Now let's move on to the, that other Mace gag, which was in Broad City, The Lockout. There were two Mace gags. The second one worked for me. The first one la- really didn't, as far as I was concerned. But I don't think the second one would have worked if the first one hadn't set it up. So I'll give it to him.
1: All right. Fair enough. Uh, I've been more into Broad City than you in that I've been watching it. Uh, I do Didn't think this episode was as good as the two previous that you missed, uh, but I did think it was pretty good. I know we're divided on the subway pole gag, which was groaningly obvious, but I thought was really nicely executed. Uh, Broad City has a way of doing things that are obvious or that are kind of played out, but doing it with enough conviction that it's still kind of funny. Like, for instance, the locksmith guy, uh, you know, like totally. There you go. See, uh, you think not funny, but I think was committed enough that it actually kind of worked. Except for the ending gag, which I feel like they should have done something else with, like maybe having the neighbor's name actually be Yolanda, that would have been better. But uh, anyway,
0: yeah, that would that would have been good. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, watching this episode, uh, I believe I messaged you about halfway through, it said when does it get funny? Uh, because I was watching it, going, okay, interesting. They feel like real people to some extent, but it was only in the second half or the, like the last third even of the episode that it that it kicked in for me, and I started, you know. Actively enjoying it as opposed to just not disliking it. The subway Yay. pole gag, I was like, I watched it, was like, okay, that's, here's what's going to happen. And then it happened, and I went, that was well executed. I'm not laughing, but that was well executed. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, so I just wasn't really, I, I, I don't have the same sort of relationship with, uh, and for me, a bunch of these gags just went on way too long and weren't successful. So the the locksmith gag, okay, I get it. I'm not laughing. Let's move on. The parkour I I get it. I'm not laughing. Let's let's move on. But then we get to the end, and and uh, Hannibal Burris's uh you know, relationship relationship with the one the one of the two friends that really worked, and that that scene with him made her feel much more real and honest. And I enjoyed from there on the rest of the episode. I don't know if I don't know if I would have enjoyed uh, the shift in tone when he comes on if I hadn't had the rest of the episode before it. To make it feel like a shift in tone, it's 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 bizarre to me a little bit. I'm not quite sure where I feel where I stand on this episode, but I did almost laugh out loud at the whole sandwich thing at the end. I thought that was perfectly pitched.
1: My, actually, my favorite part of that scene is is her figuring out that there's no barter system for sandwiches; that it's just you pay with money, and that's how it normally <laughs> works. I, I would say that the the locksmith thing I I connected personally to um there is an episode of the web series that is joke free. That is literally just them walking around the city being perved on by a bunch of creepy dudes and then reenacting the dance sequence from Do the Right Thing, complete with Fight the Power. Uh, actually, Children's Hospital did something similar, but this but this was not really for comic effect. It was just them saying, let's not, that's not okay. And to me, that was them going back to that well in a way that was a little bit more comic, but it still felt like it was coming from a real place. And I appreciated that.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, that's not okay, and uh, it's nice to see a show point that out. I, I, this felt more broad, and and I didn't I didn't see that subtext there in this one at all. <laughs> I just felt like this was a pervy guy, not a stand-in for a, a subset or a larger than subset of the popu- of the populace. So maybe that's part of the the difference of whether it worked or not for the two of us. But
1: maybe, but I I did like the idea that they were trying to get out of a potentially predatory situation, but they did it in the jerkiest possible fashion. So you can kind of see where they're coming from, but still they probably did deserve to get mazed.
0: Yeah. Well, and also just not leaving right away. (laughs) That, that, that too. But uh, it did work for me more than the previous episode I watched. So, but I don't feel, I just don't have that connection with these characters in the way that I, that I want to have. If if the characters from the last chunk of the episode were there the whole time, I would really like the show. So, it's well, interesting.
1: I th- I think you should keep going with it. I I especially since that I I do think the two previous episodes were stronger. I'm just putting that out there.
0: There's less to watch this week, so maybe I'll see if I can find the time, but I'll I'll prioritize Rick and Morty over Broad City for this next week and we'll see what happens. Uh next up is Girls Beach House and we had the one of the more meta episodes they've done in, in quite a while. What did you what did you think?
1: It's weird how it didn't even really occur to me that it was a meta episode while I was watching it and I think that's the sign of a good meta episode like it wasn't ostentatious it, 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 it came to me more thinking about it afterwards just thinking wow, it really seems like they were they have a very precise idea of what audience views on every one of these characters is and were openly discussing it. but while I was watching it, I was just thinking this is funny and this actually this really pops. Uh, a couple things to mention the cold open was fantastic. I loved that so much. The the masterpiece theater style, big sweep on the estate with Marnie was so good. Um, I mean, really, to me, this is the let's rescue Shoshana episode.
0: Yeah. Let's make her feel like a person.
1: Yeah, which I wonder, I do wonder to what degree was was this episode them acknowledging that they failed that character or to what degree are they having an issue with the audience where they're not giving her, giving them a chance to just give them a minute to flesh other people at first and then get to her later.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a good point. And this, like I said, this is a very meta episode. As soon as we start talking about when was the last time we actually had fun, we had a good time and we were all together. And it's, so, but, but while it didn't, it didn't bother me because it felt also, it worked in the context of, the friends, especially where Marnie's at. And I just, I really appreciated the different, the different things we see. First of all, I should mention, lovely to see Danny Strong pop up on my TV again in a, in a very different role on a very different show. Very much appreciated. I loved having Elijah back this week.
1: Uh, yes. And I, I like I, their conversation at the end is, is fantastic and hilarious, but I, I think on another metal level, I think it was important for them to have an episode that works and clicks that didn't have any Adam content, because I think even they know that they're hugely at risk of making him their most likable and sensible character.
0: Yeah. And and again, to move the, at least for an episode, to move it back to being about these relationships. And it's also a nice way to check in and see where they were in, you know, season one and where they are now, where all these different relationships are. And I also, I just love the way I mean, it felt very... It felt very real, while well, also being very heightened, but it felt very real to have, everybody's having a good time, and and Marnie's, you know, kind of pissed off, but then as soon as she does start doing the choreography, she's having fun again, but then it doesn't mean that she's not pissed off, you know, like, so it, it, having this big fight, and then the next day, they're still all friends, but, you know, they've just been a little bit more honest with each other, I mean, it, it felt very... Felt very realistic to friendships, to, to to real friendships that are are based on a lot of life experience that can withstand a big blow up and a round of honesty that maybe they weren't ready for. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was good, and the last little touch, you know, like little beat of them waiting for the bus, I thought was really adorable as well.
1: Yeah, which you wouldn't think that they would have room for at at the end there. Um, I mean, in in terms of just meta stuff to point out. Th- the idea of talking about audience expectation and things they're just going to have to put up with while having an entire episode of Hannah in a Bikini, mm. I think, was important. Like, this is what we're going to do. You can suck it if you don't like it. And um, and also the way that they finally explained Charlie's exit. I love that they were in no hurry to do that. I remember, I don't know if you read this, but after he... You know, it was a semi-public thing when that actor left the show, and, and then it was either... Um, Uh, Dunham or Jenny Connor said something about well if we needed to depend on a male character to make the show work that would be kind of sad (laughs) and so I I love the uh, on another meta level the way they they waited all this time to explain in one scene how he left like off screen I think was uh, kind of a righteous thing for them to do.
0: Yeah it was very good because it also it felt true to the character where we haven't we've just known that Marnie's been messed up all season and she was last season too but and we so we kind of just assumed it was an extension of that. And then just to find out now, several episodes into the season, exactly what went down and how that would destroy a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh it it felt it was it was good. It felt, you know, it was very patient and this is not a character Marnie's not a character who opens up. Um who talks about things of substance.
1: And they just couldn't resist sinking Charlie's business off screen either.
0: <laughs> that was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really good episode and one that I that I I was happy to see... At first, it felt like a bit of a jarring kind of bottle episode shift, but I did end up really, really liking it, I'm, and I hope we get more Elijah uh, in the rest of the season. Just, You just need to be in every episode, but just having him pop back up and having just that, you know, that awkward conversation that then transitions into a, you know, getting, those, getting those two crazy kids back together in friendship was, was nice. I also, with, with we speak of the bikini, that bikini it was just hideous but um the like just it was not flattering for her which is the whole point But, but what i loved in my reaction to it was i'm like oh god of course she's wearing a string bikini which honestly i don't i'm not a fan of those i don't feel like anybody should wear them personally i'm not a big bikini person but i loved the way that as you're watching it you get as you get more comfortable with with her in it and then you see her get less comfortable and put on the hoodie and then when so it becomes a really distinct indicator of of how she's feeling based on how she's dressing over the course of the episode it's such a lovely touch and i again it's a thing that i really love about how the show plays with uh body image and and self-esteem and all these different elements it it was really nice
1: Mm -hmm. i that's all very astute i would not have even figured that out
0: Speaking of uh, episodes based on, you know, the body image and 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 relationships and all that, we had another really introspective and really personal feeling episode of, of Looking right after One of the Girls. that was very well tonally matched. Uh, what did you think of Looking for the Future?
1: Dude, this was so good.
0: I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> this was so
1: good. It's kind of crazy that only, like... Uh like a hundred and ten thousand americans watch this live um that's really sad anyway um i really hope hbo keeps this on because it looks like it costs almost nothing to produce uh for the most part and i would love for them to take more risks like they do this week with only spending time with uh patrick and richie i mean that's a great way to uh, to investigate the patrick character and make him more i feel like now I'm, he's totally likable and i fe- and three episodes ago that was not the case and that's the product of fine acting and fine writing and a lot of hard work um i was ex- kind of expecting this to be the joe swanberg episode because it, it just seemed like such a departure from the from the previous ones but apparently that's next week so i'm curious to see what that's going to bring but yeah, I did. This was literally just conversation and a little sex, but mostly conversation, and it worked so beautifully to flesh out both characters. And w- when I think that was at, at risk of being an issue for both of them,
0: yeah, definitely the the most interesting character of the sh- of the the initial trio. I think people might have had a conversation there about Dama or Augustine, but. Nobody was saying Patrick. And so it was nice to really get that spotlight on him and to show that not only can the show work, but it can be better <laughs> if when it's just the Patrick character. Uh, I really have enjoyed the the introduction of Russell Tovey onto the show. And uh, so when I, I found I was just going to be Patrick and Richie this week, without the other characters that I enjoy more and without the new Russell Tovey character, I was uh, a little apprehensive. Uh, but I th- like you said, I thought it was lovely and it was a a really authentic feeling episode. It felt like watching two real people on a date on a day that just feels like it's not going to end. It was like looking does before sunset. And I don't, I don't say that easily.
1: <laughs> I've heard that comparison made. Uh, I I don't want to really know what it looks like when they try before midnight, but whatever. Yeah. I just, I thought it was a, a significant step up even from what they've done so far. And I think it's really too bad that, like, I was I was talking to someone about the HBO lineup yesterday, and I mentioned that uh, I think what I said was, well, they can get away with True Detective being so doodly because they have girls and looking right on right afterwards, and she said, what's looking? <laughs>
0: like,
1: that, that, to me, is an indicator of just how insanely low-profile this show still is.
0: Yeah, we'll see whether it manages, because there's been a lot of praise for this episode. It's not just us. Apparently, everybody who watched it liked this episode, too, so hopefully... It gets a little bigger of an audience. The last thing I do want to mention about Looking is that we have uh, reviews of Looking at Sound on Sight every week. Uh, one of our writers, Brian Rucker, reviews the show, and his reviews are always wonderful. So people should check out those reviews at Sound on Sight. And what, what he pointed out in his review this week, and not being a a gay man who lives in San Francisco... I can't really speak to this, but apparently the specifics of this episode, not even just the relationship, but where they were shooting and where they were walking around are really on. They felt felt very authentic and specific and, and true to life to to Brian, who I, I don't know very much about him other than he's an excellent writer, but I know he lives in San Francisco, so he was really enjoying the location shooting and some of these other specifics in the episode. And I feel like that has sort of been... Um, missing to some extent in the season to this point. So hopefully we'll get more of that as the, the season finishes out here.
1: All I know is it was the first episode where I thought to myself, man, I really need to go to San Francisco sometime.
0: Yep. Well, what wins your week in comedy this week?
1: Oh, that's tricky because I want to give it to looking, even though it really, it it's it's positioning as a comedy has never been more arbitrary than this week I don't think uh so i based on the shows we've talked about i will give it to looking but i wanted to give a shout out to rick and mori for for i think improving leaps and bounds from the pilot
0: yeah it's really it's girls and looking and uh, i'm giving it to looking too so hopefully people will will tune in and check it out but for right now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama and genre and everything that's an hour <laughs> we'll be right back mm-hmm.
2: Please take this cup from me Please hear my anguish cry Oh Lord, take this cup from me Please let it pass on by Now there's a hole in the backyard it's broad, wide, and deep Where the old empty bottles are piled Cause the fruit of the vine Beer, whiskey, and wine Have been with me since I was a child
0: This week in drama and genre we have The Walking Dead Inmates the pilot for Star-Crossed We have... <laughs> Sorry. Season two of House of Cards, and we'll be specifically talking about the premiere, but uh, also a little bit about the rest of the season. Justified, Kill the Messenger, and True Detective, The Secret Fate of All Life. And for The Walking Dead, I liked it. I thought it was uh, in keeping with many of the strengths of the premiere, and and I, I... some of the different character choices really worked for me, less so for for Ricky D, and you can listen to us talk about that on the Sound Outside Walking Dead podcast. If you subscribe to the television iTunes, it should already be in your feed. If not, you can go to Sound Outside and listen to myself and Ricky D, and this week our guest is Randy Dankovich, talk about this episode. Um, but I liked it, and now uh, next up is the pilot for Starcrossed or Romeo and Juliet with Aliens, as I've been basically referring to it. This is on the CW. It just premiered last night, and like
1: you need to say it's on the CW. That's that's
0: that's very true. If you set aside the fact that this high school is entirely peopled with 28 year olds or older, <laughs> and that Amy T. Garden is playing 16 again. After, if you watch her on Friday Night Lights, you can see what she actually looked like when she was 16, playing 16. Uh, If you put that aside, if you put aside some uh, really unfortunate uh, choices as far as character descriptions and, and just not spending the time to make any characters feel like people, but instead fit into one of a set number of tropes. You have the racist character, or sorry, the specious character. You have the the supportive character. You have the, uh, I mean, there's. This is, this is a show that is not going for specifics. It is going for Romeo and Juliet with aliens. There are some interesting things about this. Uh, the central cast of the 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 you know Romeo and Juliet figures who are able to make some of these scenes work, and. That is impressive because this is not a very good pilot as far as I'm concerned. I don't, this show is not one for me. I will not be tuning in again. I did not think it was very good. However, there are a couple interesting elements. I like that it is set 10 years in the future. Uh, a alien spacecraft crashes to Earth and there's a, a fight, a violent altercation when that happens. And that And that is set in 2014. And then 10 years later, we cut to a high school and some of the aliens are go- coming to st- to to start you know integrating at the high school and what happens after that that's the that's the setup there are a couple touches that i think are really interesting and nice i like their representation of technology i like what they do with the phones i like what they do with screens i like what they do with some of these other touches that make it feel like a a specific progression and not all of a sudden there are hoverboards and stuff. It feels, it feels you know, like a good blend of that. I also really enjoyed the touch, of the choice to have the characters saying the Pledge of Allegiance at school and there's no Under God. So ten years from now, the Pledge is still the Pledge and they still say it at school but Under God is no longer in the Pledge of Allegiance. I thought that was a very interesting and very specific choice. And so there's a couple touches here and there that are interesting. Unfortunately, the, the characters don't feel like people, the writing isn't particularly great, and I don't care about the the long-term conspiracies they're they're building up. So uh, I'm a lot harsher on this show than it sounds like some of the other critics out there are, and uh, maybe they know something I don't. Maybe they've seen more episodes. There's a couple twists on the Romeo and Juliet thing that I appreciate. I like that they switch the Romeo and Juliet positions in a couple elements. You know the the Tybalt's, uh murder is different than we expect. There's a couple. You know, there's a couple things like that that I think are interesting. But on the whole, there's way more wrong than right. I would say so. I'm out, <laughs> and you're not gonna Dude, check it's it out. R-
1: it's Romeo and Juliet with aliens on the CW. I was never gonna be in.
0: Yeah. I don't know why... I mean, so some people seem to really like this. Uh, some, some critics do. and uh, Or at least think it has potential and you know, they seem more interested in it than I am. I guess they must know something that I don't because... I don't. Or see... they're just
1: really starved for genre shows.
0: Well, there's lots of genre shows out there, and there's a lot of really interesting ones. Apparently, Helix has gotten much better, and there's some, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on elsewhere. I know that the the season premiere of Teen Wolf was crazy and trippy and kind of fun. So there, I assume there's crazy stuff happening. There's plenty of genre shows out there, but. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it picks if it picks up with an audience, and if it, you know, if I hear good things, maybe I'll check in at the end of the season. I wouldn't be averse to that because of those couple of interesting touches, but based on this pilot, uh, I have better things to do with my time than watch more Starcrossed. Let's move on to House of Cards, and I'm pretty sure that's how you felt about the first episode this season.
1: Yep, I I decided to be a good boy and at least watch the first episode of season two since I felt like it was going to be a conversation and uh, so we're not spoiling stuff. A thing happens in that episode and it was amusing to me because I heard in advance only that there's, an, there's a Zomg moment and I thought and I did some deducing based on just only based on that. And I got really, really close.
0: You got hilariously to it. close to guessing.
1: So, I think that was a sign to me that okay, this show is not going to get a whole lot smarter. I mean, I mean, even after hearing you talk about what happens with the character, because you you it became pretty clear to you that I wasn't going to watch anymore. Yeah. So you sort of you sort of explained to me stuff that happens, and even just for instance, the way they decide to and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems very much like they decide to humanize a a previously chilly character through sexual assault, which is one of my least favorite storytelling tropes.
0: Well, they don't humanize that character in that way. It fills in some gaps and it gives that character something to do. It gives narrative direction for the season that is far more engaging than the season before. So there, I, I see what, absolutely see what you're saying. And if that's what they were going for, I would feel the same way about it but instead of it being let's look at this character be so traumatized because of this sexual assault we found out happened uh in the in their backstory it's no this is still the same person you met before this is one thing that happened in their life that led them to the point that they are w- of where they are now and um and in- and the the performance is fantastic. And the bigger thing for me is that it points out the way that season two of House of Cards is a direct reaction to certain elements of season one. And that's what really encourages me about the already announced season three of House of Cards, which based on what we've done the last two years, I will probably be reviewing for Sound on Sight again next year after watching it in like a day, like I have the past two, the past two years there's there are several elements of season 1 that just didn't work and uh while it was a very uh interesting show and one that got a lot of acclaim based on just doing certain things well not great i think either of us would say but just very proficiently there were definitely glaring issues and so most of those are addressed this season so Kevin Spacey talking to the camera happens way less. So much less. It was just wonderful. It, you, to the point where you could forget that that was a thing that this show did until, like, the one time per episode it would happen. And, but but comparing that with the almost constant, you know, talking to the camera in season one, I mean, that was that's a distinct change as far as I'm concerned. You also have the, that smug tone that comes from Kevin Spacey telling the camera what he's going to do and what all the other characters are going to do. And then all the other characters doing exactly what he's already told you they're going to do, that is reduced. And so the tone is is much more palatable, at least for me. You have the the uh, unfortunate, I think the show thought it was sexy, or they thought it was creepy, or they thought it was interesting sex scenes in season one that really didn't work. You have uh, that addressed and for the most part removed from season two, so and this this other character given a new and more interesting narrative direction to approach. I mean, they t- they took a look at season one and said, you know what was interesting and what was not interesting. Everything with Slugline wasn't interesting. Let's change that in a way that uh, fixes that problem. Everything with Gerald McCraney was interesting, so let's give him a lot more to do this season. And knowing where your flaws are and addressing them is a really good thing, as far as I'm concerned.
1: And I, having read your review and, and had some conversations with you about that, all that stuff sounds great. I don't know if any of that addresses my core issue with the show, which is that it creates a universe that I find completely uninteresting.
0: I gotta ask you, West Westwinger House of Cards!
1: I'm glad you asked that question, because I was just about to get to that. I feel like... I like them about the same <laughs> and they kind of have the opposite problem. Like I, I have some, I feel like West wing is kind of myopic and naive in a way that I find eye rolling and sometimes infuriating and house of cards seems just as naive to me in that it, it's like really no one on Capitol Hill is this smart. No one is this, is this cunning. And I, that to me is, is the, the real Achilles heel of the show is that the spacey character and performance is just so deeply uninteresting to me. And the whole universe bends to his will. So as long as that's the case, it's really... Like, I, I like Spacey even less than I like Buscemi on Boardwalk Empire, which I know is heresy to you, but I just... I really do not like that performance.
0: I don't like the character. I don't think the characters... And it's not that I dislike the character. It's that I'm not interested in the character. They they give him a couple moments here and there over the course of the two seasons that make him feel more interesting and rounded, but for the most part... He's very constructed, very carefully constructed facade. That's what the character is. And that's all the character will let you see. When we get a crack in that, that's where the character becomes more interesting. And we see that in season one when he goes back to his college and hangs out with his buddies. And we see that a little bit in season two. There's a couple moments. And those are the moments that are standouts for that character that make that character interesting. And we get get a little bit more of insight for a couple other characters in that same way. Uh, in in this season, that makes them more interesting. But I, I do absolutely agree the biggest flaw with the show remains. Uh, friend of the show, Todd Vanderwerf of the AV Club, put up his review season two. And uh, I feel like we can say friend of the show, right? Yes, we can. And for him, the biggest point, his biggest problem is that the show isn't about anything. And I think that's a very valid point. But for me, the biggest problem, I, I, I can accept that the show is not really about anything. My problem is that if it's not going to be about anything, it needs to at least be fun. And when you don't have any character who feels like they're a legitimate threat or a legitimate opponent to the Kevin Spacey character, it's not interesting and it's not fun.
1: And I feel like if you're going to throw in Molly Parker, she's probably a pretty good choice for someone to be an adversary. And And she's very
0: good. I'm sure she's great. They don't waste her in a way that I was kind of expecting. So I think okay. she's a highlight of the season and I think she could become very there and there's some really nice character moments with her as well. I like that they give Remy more to do as well. I like that they bring in Jimmy Simpson in a dramatic role. How great is that?
1: That's that's pretty cool, but again, like as long as this is the universe and like as long as this is the playpen we're working with, I don't know if I'm ever gonna be on board with House of Cards.
0: Well, fair enough. Let us know what you think of House of Cards. Where you're at with your binge viewing or meeting it out over, uh, you know, a, a several month span. I'm very curious how our listeners are are consuming House of Cards. But for now, let's move on to Justified. Kill the messenger. Uh, what did you think?
1: Ah, uh, it's so nice when Justified is cooking, isn't it?
0: Uh, it's wonderful.
1: I feel like, yeah, they took maybe two, maybe even three more episodes to get really rolling than usual. But I feel like now we're fully at that point. How relieved were you when we got to Ava's last scene, by the way?
0: When she was cutting, I I was assuming that that was what that was going to be. I, I figured okay. it was, you know, especially with the, the, the shout out earlier to hair the last, last week, the, the shout out to her actually, you know, being a hairdresser, which is how yes. that character started. That's where I figured it was going. The highlights for me in this episode are, are less about that and uh, much more about art. But but continue your thought with Ava.
1: Well, I just I think that that was a great use of series memory mm. uh, in terms of you know calling back to her form, which we've never we never saw her at her old job. We just saw her the first time we saw her. She just shot Bowman in in, in at her uh, at her dining room table. But um, I just thought that was a that was a great callback and a way to say that you know she's turning this she's turning this corner. And from what Yost has said, I think we're going to be spending more time with Ava in that setting, which is fantastic. I love that we get a a, a view, uh, a depiction of women's prison that is has almost nothing in common with Orange is the New Black. There's nothing funny or amusing. The way that they depict that world is just there's nowhere to hide. There's no corners. There's no walls. There's big open spaces where everyone is here and everyone is dangerous. And that was a, a great way to introduce that world.
0: Yeah, well, it's a very different type of prison. It, this is not the tax evasion prison. This is the you stabbed the guard prison. Uh, and so this is where it got sent to. At at the end of Orange is the New Black. I guess that's a spoiler. But uh, I I do think that would be interesting. And I liked the as far as she goes, I liked the subversion of what we're expecting with uh, with the with the Nazis or the neo Nazis, I should say.
1: Another great use of series memory, by the way.
0: Excellent use of series memory. And uh, how relieved are you that we now have the Crows teaming up with the Crowders? And it doesn't look like, as I was predicting to toot my own horn a little bit, unless I'm proven wrong next week, it doesn't look like we're going to have the Crows as some season-long villain, but they're just part of the tapestry.
1: Uh, that would be great. I really, really love the scene we got with Boyd and the Mexican cartel folk talking about Korean history. If only because uh, we got Boyd saying kimchi, which was just a, a pleasure heretofore unknown to us. Uh, so much good this week. Um, trying to think of what else to mention. Yes, you. you, you what did you have to say about art?
0: Just uh, I love the... Uh... We talked about this last week. I love that Raylan is the kind of dick who Art is having a wonderful best... one of the best days of his career and he has to shit all over it at the end of last week's episode. And I love the fallout from it this week. I love that Tim and Rachel know exactly what's up or have an inkling and try in their own ways to address it or to, you know, figure things out. But they know Raylan, and they know Art. The way that the episode... Opens with that wordless, you know, opening at the bar I thought was lovely. And uh, I look forward to what's going to be coming next.
1: Man, they've been killing the cold opens this season. Uh, They've just been getting shorter and punchier and and wonderful. This was another longer episode, by the way. Did you notice? Because I didn't. No. Until afterwards when I looked at at the running length. I was reading about um, Yost talking about their approach to the uh, art and real and storyline. And that to me is fascinating because the whole reason they've done it that way is because their technical advisor has said, well, he can't just go out and say what's happening because then they have to really investigate. Mm -hmm. So he's giving art just enough to sort of relieve himself of the guilt of what happened, but not enough to create a real problem that's going to be publicized like that to me is is a fascinating thing that they can explore and clearly are doing a great job with
0: yep what about rachel
1: uh well i mean her scenes at the end were great i'm assuming that's pretty much all she's gonna get to do this season
0: (laughs) we'll see but last season we got a lot for tim it was great to see them actually use that character they've yet to really they started to develop her more last season Uh, other than that one terrible episode that we shouldn't even talk about that we got with her back in season was at two season two yeah Yeah. uh but i like this this the scene we get with her this week where it's a reflection of who she is but also how she's been affected by Raylan. she's been working with this guy for what four years now i don't know exactly what the in-show timeline is but of course she's been affected by that and of course she's not an idiot she can see something's wrong and she's trying to figure out how she can affect change or how she can assist or what the best thing to do is. And I like that. She knows him well enough to know she shouldn't let him go alone. Cause that's just going to make everything worse, but she, yes. you know, and she, she wants to know what's going on, but maybe she doesn't. You know, I, I really like that characterization of her. And uh, I also like just the, the couple of lines that they, they, they give with that character, letting her be a, sexual being without sexualizing her when we got a little bit of that last season, but here where it's like, we should probably have another story about what we're doing because otherwise people will talk because everybody hates inventory. Like that, that felt like a really aware you know, thing. Like they do on new girl or on yeah. Brooklyn nine, nine or on some of these other shows makes part of their identity, who they are, but doesn't define them by it. I like that. They have started to do that with Rachel where, her, her femininity is a part of who she is, but she's not defined by it.
1: Right. Uh, two other things I wanted to mention. I I find it fascinating that Amy Smart is now by far uh, the most involved of all of Raylan's non-Winona, uh, as I call them in my write-up, Sex Pals. Um, <laughs> that's my term for women on the show who are at Winona. But uh, just, her, she's been great, and her whole speech about how, yeah, you'd rescue me from a burning building, but you'd also have started the fire was... A perfectly apt metaphor. Other shows, that's how metaphors work. Certain shows don't seem to get how that works. The uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is out of the crows. So far, I know that Rappaport is getting all the ink, but I think AJ Buckley is fantastic. Yeah. As uh, as as Daryl Jr. He's just been. Uh, sorry, as Danny, um, he's wow. He's just so horrible, and just the way that he makes Amy Smart so uncomfortable this week is is it's just visceral. It's just really unpleasant to watch.
0: Yeah, I always love the way the show treats uh dogs with the with the marshals as well. I, lo- I love that all of the marshals have a healthy respect for Chelsea <laughs> and uh, just dogs in general, the way that, you know, an idiot with a gun is not as scary to them as a big ass dog. And that's very fitting. And uh, yes. the, the bark like when he's. Barking. that is a really very visceral performance like you said mm. also i continue to really enjoy alicia witt on the show and uh that that i think that character is very crucial in making the crows separating the crows out from the bennett's and and that that dynamic of that family and uh yeah it's i look forward to the the powder and crow team up and uh seeing what craziness comes comes from that and uh any other thing anything else we want to mention johnny what, any uh, hopes, fears for that? Uh,
1: I just, I, if he survives next week, I'd be very surprised and actually even a little bit disappointed.
0: <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Um, any other thoughts on Justified, or shall we move on to True Detective?
1: Uh, there's so much else I could go on about, but we, we're, 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 we've, we've we're, done we're, this long we've enough. We've
0: run so much longer than we thought we would this week. Uh, True Detective, The Secret Fate of All Life. There have been a few articles going around, specifically an article over at io9, about the King Yellow and Carcosa and uh, all the various the literary references that these are making to to horror fiction and strange fiction this is something that i was picking up on from the very first mentions in the show because i enjoy Ar- arkham horror which is a board game based on the lovecraft universe that has king and yellow and carcosa references i really wanted the end of this episode to go full-on like portal cthulhu <laughs> i don't know something very str- like i really want this show to just Go all in one of these episodes, the Twin Peaks style, where about episode six you realize that you're actually watching a genre show. I would love it if they would do that. It's it's not gonna do it, but I would love it.
1: Dude, the Spaghetti Monster is totally Cthulhu. Um, first of all, I just want to say that this was better than last week's episode. I think there's no question about that. Yeah, it was At really least, good. Uh, it's I think it's the best they've done. I, I, the the more the atmosphere just becomes suffocating, like you just can't deal with it. That's the that's a good space for them to be in. The way that they advance from 1995 to 2002, I think, is really smart for them. There are indicators that Michelle Monaghan's going to get a little bit more to do to do in future episodes, which is good because I was really concerned about her being utterly wasted. And you know, other people have had those concerns as well as we remember.
0: My favorite of those people being Natalie Z.
1: Yes, of course. The uh, honestly. Um, I'm I'm going to be on the true detective podcast this week. So I don't want to go on too much about this, but there are indicators that perhaps they're going to go full on Zodiac with this and not even resolve the case. That's my personal favorite option. Just so you know, because if they're not going to go straight up supernatural with it, which they're not going to do, there are so many bad options. So many bad options. Like they can do a big religious conspiracy, terrible option. They can do it's rust, terrible option. They can do it's heart terrible option.
0: That's the thing. It's not Rust. The show wants you to think that it. They, they were clearly have been building to this all season so far, and I like. No, no, no. They but they
1: can they, do it. I'm just saying.
0: They, but they're not going to. We all know that Russ didn't do it because if Russ did it, we would have seen some element of performance from McConaughey at some point. That would make that feel like a viable option, and it's not.
1: Right, but I'm just saying, like, of all the options that at least that I can think of that they could do, none of them are satisfying because they've just done too much building up you know the spiral uh, drawing that's in Hart's house, etc. I'm way happier with all this stuff leading nowhere or at least leading to a whole bunch of possibilities but not one definitive one. that's so much more satisfying to me
0: The one that seems obvious right now uh, is the friend of the governor, religious guy, being the one who's doing it or like the, that he's in charge of some like, like cult, cult or something that's like, you know, going on that, that sort of something like that makes a lot of sense to me. And also just because you don't cast that actor to bring him in for one scene.
1: Well, it makes sense, but it's also kind of lame. Well, like, I yeah, don't know. I just, but, I, I don't like it as an explanation.
0: Well, it's the thing though, with, with these, uh, with these serial killer shows, Sometimes, you know, there's a couple of them that are Hannibal that are fascinating and the reveal works and is interesting. And then most of the time when when you have somebody who killed somebody, it's for money or because they're psycho or because there's not a com- hugely compelling there's not an answer that's going to satisfy you or feel like it's it's warrants the violence or the the everything that came to that point because that's not how life works. um. So I don't, I, I don't know if I would be satisfied with a, oh, it could be it. An, and, and that doesn't, that just seems like that's the, it, that feels like that's the easiest a- way to do it.
1: It's, Seriously? Yeah. HBO viewers would be so pissed yeah, if that happened. But
0: narratively, that's the easiest option. I think it's a lot harder to make an actual answer work and feel satisfying.
1: The thing is, yeah, it's hard, but I don't even know at this point if it's even possible. If they pull that off then i'll you know choose an article of clothing and i'll consume it because if they can do that in a way that's totally satisfying i mean do you even see that as possible at this point
0: i don't know but i i know that i'm glad that we finally have the uh guys they think russ did it out of the way
1: yes and it's it's good that they have it out of the way with so much story time left to go
0: well and i also like that that a little bit of dialogue goes a long way towards making me enjoyed the episodes that came before where uh, Hart says, oh, if you haven't been learning anything from him, he's been studying you. If you, Then he's been gaining from this whole conversation. And that, that gives you a reason for why he's still been sitting around and actually saying all of this. So that mm-hmm. I, you know, I appreciated that element to it as well.
1: The one aspect of the interviews I don't find credible is why exactly is Hart delving into his own personal history so much?
0: Well, the- without prompting? The other thing is that uh, they, they make very clear last week and then this week as well that what they are sell- telling the the detectives is not what we're seeing. We're seeing what actually right. happened because earlier on we were speculating that there was some unreliable narrator and that is clearly not the case. So that, you know, we don't know how much of what we've seen in flashback they've actually told them.
1: Mm-hmm. Um the, the I guess the other question I wanted to throw out there, and I we don't really have a definitive answer on this yet, is you know, we have so much of Rust philosophizing, which is, you know, great to watch. It's it's good fun, and I'll just as a very minor philosophy nerd, I dig aspects of that when I notice certain shout-outs happening. But I think there's an interesting tension of how much of this is Pizzolato informing us of the ethics of this universe and how much of it is just Rust spouting bullshit. And we really don't know. And I think this is the first week where at least to me where where those rants started to feel really unhinged. And that was a that's a very careful balance they're doing there.
0: Yeah, I think that's working really well. The other element I wanna mention is it was bothering me a little bit last week, but particularly I noticed that this week I they have start i've started to see cracks in the heart conversations because at the start of you know like episode two episode three we have him sort of joking away his infidelity and then 10 minutes later in his timeline he's remorseful and soberly looking back on on their relationship uh and, and, and that doesn't that doesn't track so i'm hoping that we're done with the the heart part of that conversation or the the questioning as well because i'm starting to see the seams there and uh and that it's a tricky thing to pull off they've mostly done a good job with it but they're trying to have their cake and eat it too at this point so we'll see hopefully that that part of it is done and we'll just get to move on from here any final thoughts on true detective this week that besides obviously that everyone should listen to the sound outside true detective podcast
1: Yes, which I will be on this week. Uh, No, except to say that I'm going to refrain from any more long-term speculating, especially since there are people I know who've seen more than us, which is immensely frustrating.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, uh, Simon, what wins your weekend drama? Ooh.
1: I kind of want to give it to True Detective just for really coalescing this week, but Justify was really so damn good that just don't make me do it.
0: Uh, Let's just tie call it a tie tie it's a draw it really was for me the best episode of true detective they've done uh that that ending i wasn't satisfied with you know the nothing that we actually saw but uh but the tone of it like you were saying claustrophobic tone was was very impressive and just just was once again a hell of fun so good good you know there was all of two shows for us to really talk about but there were two damn good episodes
1: Yep. It was just a really good week.
0: Yeah. I love how there were, like, four shows that we really talked about, and yet that was enough to make it a damn good week.
1: And we went over, also. And we went
0: over... Oh my god, we are hugely over. Uh, Before we go to our DVD shelf with Caroline Sita talking about The West Wing, a few show notes. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at Sound On Sight for this episode. Let us know what you thought of the week's TV and uh, let us know if you're watching Looking. Please be watching Looking. Uh, You can also, of course, like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound On Sight TV. I will hopefully get back to posting on Facebook a little bit more this week. You can also, of course, uh, write us a review or, or give us a rating. In iTunes, we have both an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 on chapter feed you can email us the televerse at gmail.com or you can of course find us on twitter i am at the televerse and you are
1: uh, at sucker howl
0: and simon what's our question of the week
1: bad resolution or no resolution
0: true detective
1: Hmm. no 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 in general in
0: general ah. yes okay uh no resolution in general i'll I'm, i will go with no resolution over bad resolution You? Agreed.
1: But I'm not sure everyone else agrees.
0: Okay, let us know. Now we're going to take a break and uh, come back with Caroline Sita of the AV Club to talk the West Wing
1: is there anything i can say other than the
2: president rode his bicycle into a tree he hopes never to do it again
0: seriously they're laughing
1: pretty hard
2: he rode his bicycle into a tree cj what do you want me the president while riding a bicycle on his vacation in jackson Hole, came to a sudden arboreal stop what do you want from a me? little love leo what do you know about
1: the cubans i don't know any more than josh somewhere between 1200 and 2000 cubans began
2: embarking from a fishing village 30 miles south of Havana.
0: where are they headed
2: vegas Miami, though it's not clear how sophisticated the navigational equipment. Navigational is. equipment that way is north. I think Josh. it's pretty. Uh, C.J. If one of these guys could throw a split fingered fastball, we'd send in the U.S.S. Eisenhower. That's not entirely
0: no, true. For oh, God's it. sake, forget about the journey. Okay, the voyage is not our problem. What's our problem? What to do when the Nina, the Pinta, and they get me the hell out of here hit Miami? Sam can't
2: send them back. They go to jail if they're lucky. We'll get whacked and what at least? Three the- congressional district, Dade County. Those seats are gone. Not to mention the fact that it's wrong. Plus that. What about Texas? Oh, I wouldn't worry about it. Keep Josh in a loop on this throughout the day. Me? Yeah. Uh, the thing is, my days are. And
1: I'm
0: happy to. It's just that. Sam, I'm just saying, isn't this more of a military area? Military. Yeah. You think the United States is under
2: attack from 1,200 Cubans in rowboats? I'm not saying I don't like our chances. Mind-boggling to me that we haven't won an election. Pat Thomas wants to call up the Guard. shouldn't. He's right. You
0: send in the Guard, you create a panic situation. I agree with Josh, and I agree with CJ, and I agree with Sam. And you know how that makes me crazy.
2: They're running for their lives. You don't have to start a game of Red Rover with Castro, but you don't send in the National Guard. You send food, and you send doctors. Sam, see that INS is working with the Red Cross and the Centers for Disease Control? I got my guy from CDC on the phone right now. Go, talk to him. Talk to him. Moving on.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell, and this week on the DVD shelf, we are tackling another rather significant series for a lot of TV viewers, and uh, one that I think we'll have a lot to talk about, and that's The West Wing. And here to help us with that is
2: Caroline Sita from the AV Club. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, why did you want to talk about The West Wing? Uh, There's a lot of reasons. Uh, I always describe the West Wing as like Frank Capra meets his girl Friday meets like the best American government teacher you ever had. Um, It's got a really it's a heightened world and it's patriotic and it's intelligent and it's really funny. Um, But I think ultimately, to me, it always comes back to the characters. And I think the TV shows I like the most are the ones with the characters I just want to hang out with. And that's kind of how I feel about everybody on the West Wing
0: understandable because they just it's it's one of the things that sorkin when he's firing on all cylinders when his shows are firing on all cylinders really excels at everybody is smart and everybody's funny and everybody's just incredibly competent not so much socially but definitely (laughs) at every other realm of their life so it's easy to to just kind of feel like just by hanging out with these people, it would make you smarter and more successful and all these wonderful things. They they do seem like fun characters to spend time with. The West Wing was a huge show for me when I was in high school. So I was really excited to to dive back in to the series and catch up with, you know, maybe especially the later years. Uh, what, it's actually, I have a very entertaining break because the first four seasons aired while I was in high school and the last three seasons aired while I was in college. And so right when that Sorkin split happens, Uh, And I stopped really following the show because I was instead watching Lost and Angel and other stuff like that. I really got away from those last three seasons. It was actually interesting for me to dive back in with the show and really explore those later seasons and kind of yeah. I'm sure we'll we'll get into the comparisons and contrasting elements between those two different parts of the show, but it was for me a very, uh, significant part of my high school television watching I- experience. It was one of the big shows that got me into watching television every week and really understanding a voice the way that a particular voice can craft a TV show. Uh, Simon, what was your relationship with the West wing?
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so
0: was that intended to be vaguely <laughs> ominous? Yeah, it was. Um, it was a bit ominous.
1: You know, Kate, you and I have dis- discussed so many series, and I think we've also discussed, you know, that viewers have um, areas that they just don't want to go. Like, like for you, I know that that you have a, you're quite wary of the really stonery end of like the Adult Swim catalog, for instance, which is totally fair. Uh, Caroline, I don't know what your no go zone is. Uh, do you have one?
2: Yeah, I'm sure I do. I would say the Adult Swim is is a good place to start. I this is kind of strange. I don't love really really serious dramas. I tend to like like comedy or even the West Wing feels slightly more heightened and not like a, you know, beat you down with how serious it is. So so that might be a blind spot for me.
1: Okay. For me, if you were to focus group a series that is just purposely built for my lack of enjoyment. I think it would have to be The West Wing. It's one of the. I can't think of another series where I'm watching it and I'm just actively thinking to myself, you know, I can see the wheels are turning. I know these actors are doing a fantastic job. I know that Aaron, sorry, a, a. Ron Sorkin is <laughs> is very good at what he does. If you like it, what it is that he does, and you know the the the, the long takes are very impressive and et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But man. It's just, it's so not for me. And I've, you know, we were originally supposed to do this segment over a year and a half ago, and I probably watched about a dozen episodes then, and I watched another eight or nine in addition to those in preparation. And, I mean, we, sh- I'm sure we'll get the differences between the Aaron Sorkin years and the John Wells years out of the way, but certainly at least for the Aaron Sorkin years, man, it's just so boringly reverent <laughs> and... And et cetera, et cetera, and I don't want to get too much into specifics because the other issue is that I'm Canadian, and I mm. wonder, I wonder how many non-American fans this show has. I would love to get some feedback from listeners on this, but you know, you were talking about how it it feels like, sort of like a a, a warm history teacher, you know, government teacher listener, what like I I will get none of that watching this show ever because I just don't have that context. So I think I it, this yeah I, I was never gonna like the West Wing, is what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to try to keep my input, just whatever I have to say, just keep that in mind as I say it.
2: That'll be fun. Um, I, I can tell you, fun fact, I know David Tennant is a big fan of the West Wing, and he's he's a Brit, or a Scott, rather. So, um, so there are some international fans, at least. And I
0: from what i've garnered over the years it is actually a rather i don't know about canada but in i've heard of a lot of british people that i've spoken to who are big fans of the west wing so the
1: the, the brits have always been america files though what's the word for that is it a, it's not america files
0: <laughs> well there are uh, there's a lot to really enjoy about the west wing as far as i'm concerned and i do think it's it's not unexpected, but it's hilarious to me just how how much, especially watching the early seasons of this show, I I just, I love the West Wing. I just do. And I know at a certain point when they've said, I, I serve at the pleasure of the president for like the 100th time, I just kind of want to punch the TV, <laughs> but there's something about the show that does work. And when you say, Caroline, about how it's a, um, the history teacher you wish you had, for mm-hmm. me, it, this is a beautiful fantasy world that I wish our politics, I wish our political system actually worked like it does on, on the West wing. uh, And that everybody, you know, on either side of the aisle, they're all for the most part, really intelligent and well-meaning. And they come up with
2: ridiculous, impossible solutions. Don't they solve the middle East in this? Yeah. I'm pretty sure in like a, like one or two episodes, maybe they, uh, they pretty much (laughs) wrap that up. Uh, So it definitely, I think fantasy is a good word for it. There's, there are you could learn a little bit about the American government system from watching this, but I wouldn't say it actually works in place of a real education.
1: I, I think the correct term, I think the correct term is speculative fiction.
2: All right, I'll go with that. That sounds right. Let's
0: just dive in with the the Sorkin part of this because that is a big part of something. You know, we see that this optimism and this notion of. Just people who really love their jobs and really are passionate coming together to make an amazing thing. We see that in all of his shows, whether mm-hmm. or not we believe that the thing is amazing studio sixty is another <laughs> conversation but uh but I think that's very much on display in the first four seasons of of the west wing and so let let's start there and I think this has a really good pilot, but even more than its pilot this these first two seasons are incredibly consistent. I think the first four seasons are actually shockingly consistent, but especially the first two.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you can pretty much, you know, in in preparing for this, I looked at a lot of lists of like best of episodes um, and I looked, I watched some of those and then I just started watching random episodes as well. And I think it's a show where you can pretty much drop in anywhere and, you know, you might not watch the best episode, but you're going to be pretty satisfied by what you find. Um, and I agree that it, it is really consistent in terms of, you know, what to expect and, You get it in spades every time. And
0: if you don't like the the tone, you know what to expect (laughs) there as well, right, Simon?
2: Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, the West Wing is the show that it is, at least the show that it's going to be for a while right off the bat. It makes no bones about that. So certainly, yeah, that you can't fault it for that at all.
0: Well, let's talk about the dialogue a little bit, because there's this wonderful Sorkin supercut on YouTube. I'm sure, have we all seen it? (laughs) Yes, I have
1: not recently but i remember it being pretty great
0: and it's it's i loved it i think it's amazing uh but what it really highlights is just how repetitive not even not even just the specific terms of you know dialogue like heaven is filled with too many angels yeah. there's, there's <laughs> things like that, that that Sorkin likes to reuse but even just the speech patterns Sorkin pretty much just writes himself or a character one one voice and then each of the different characters has that same voice, and when you when you see the characters who really work, it's because the actor is able to to bring something interesting or unique to it. And watching, I mean, I feel like if you look at the different Sorkin shows, there's different levels of success at that, and the the actors or the characters who stick out are the ones that most find a way to spin it. For me, in The West Wing. The one, who, the guy who's the absolute best at that is Richard Schiff as Toby, yeah. and uh, and I think the whole main cast really makes the dialogue work for them. But especially for me, it's it's that performance from Richard Schiff. Do you guys have a standout in the central cast of who really makes the Sorkin dialogue
2: work? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you you really, like, took the words right out of my mouth. I really feel like Sorkin kind of lives and dies by the actors. And when I look at the shows of his that I'm not a fan of, uh, namely The Newsroom, I feel like a lot of that can hinge on not quite finding the right actors to make it work. Um, so I think you're spot on. For me, the the ultimate is Bradley Whitford. He's the one that I think, even in the pilot, just, like, he's immediately Josh Lyman. Mm. And I think he, he locks right into who he's going to be right then and, and is really consistent with it throughout the whole thing.
1: Okay, for starters, I, I you know I've seen all of the newsroom for some stupid reason, and the <laughs> stupid reason is that I, you know, do this podcast. You cannot blame it, the shortcomings of the newsroom on the actors. A, that is a fantastic group of, group of actors for the most part. It's all Sorkin, but anyway. But, but, are there. but
0: a fantastic group of actors don't necessarily meet, just because they aren't managing to, to make the character or the dialogue really work for that character doesn't mean that they're not an incredibly talented actor. just means that maybe they aren't best suited with Sorkin.
2: I Yeah, uh, I
1: agree. I would be surprised if there was... And an alternate universe of that show with the same scripts but a different cast that worked
0: i think a young Brad Woodford makes the john Gallag- gallagher jr character work a lot better i agree
1: yeah but he's still running down that sex in the city bus isn't he
0: <laughs> well i still and i do i do like that actor and i don't i'm not trying to point him out as a as a weak point on the newsroom i think as we've talked about any number of times on the podcast, i mean, the problem there is, is the writing. Uh, we right. agree on that. But I do think that when you look at this cast of the West wing, not, I mean, I, it's funny for me to look back and to watch some of these episodes because I was astonished, not only just the central cast who are so amazing, but all of the periphery characters who pop up are actors mm-hmm. that I now know their names. I didn't know their names in high school, but I have followed their careers ever since the West wing. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 the ones who come back the most and the ones who really pop. I mean, it's, it's its astonishing that they managed to get the whole central and recurring cast in that first season with the, ex, you know, the big exception being Moira Kelly. She didn't mm-hmm. work in quite the same way, but the rest of the, I mean, I didn't know Alison Janney before, and I'm so glad that she
2: was CJ oh, yeah. Craig. She's my, my idol in every single way possible. I think.
1: I, I would say on, on the subject of Sorkin dialogue, which you brought up earlier, some people seem to love marathoning this show i had a really difficult time doing that not only because of the ideological issue but because sorkin's rhythms do get so tiring it's not as bad as something like sports night because it's in shorter chunks and there are fewer characters if that makes sense but because you know in in the west wing it's happening at such an accelerated frequency of people talking and stuff happening and the walking and talking that never ends and i can't believe it's taken 13 minutes and 15 seconds for someone to say walking and talking um it's just for me like i should have restricted myself to about two episodes at a time because and actually on that subject getting to the john wells years was a huge relief because the the pattern does slow down a little bit.
0: Well, but you love the patter on, uh, or I shouldn't say you loved you. You greatly enjoyed the patter on Bunheads, for example, and that's a very similar ele- element to that show, where everybody's constantly talking, talking over each other, and talking really quickly. So, what's the? Difference? But I would say,
1: I, th- I it's a rhythmic thing. I, I, if I were to analyze the meter more more specifically, maybe I could wor- work it out to an algorithm. But for some reason. On a show like Bunheads, it never bothered me, maybe because there was more. I mean, they were breaking things up with dancing and music and all kinds of other stuff, whereas on the West Wing, it tends to be a 45-minute barrage.
2: (laughs) It's interesting to hear you say that. I actually find that, um, for myself, the dialogue really draws me in. I feel like when I'm watching a show, I try to think ahead to where they're going. Like, I can't really stop my brain from doing that. And West Wing moves so fast and so rhythmically that it almost catches me off guard. And I feel like that doesn't always happen with shows. And so for whatever reason, I find that that rhythm works for me in a way, Simon, you're saying it doesn't for you. Well, and
0: I would absolutely agree, Caroline. And for me, I really, I, I have so many fond memories of marathoning the show when it started repeating forever on Bravo, back when Bravo. Yes,
2: that's, I watched a lot of that as well.
0: Yeah, back when they actually were in arts, when their name <laughs> fit with the kind of audience that they were going for. Uh, def- I remember watching opera on Bravo. That would not happen now. Yeah,
2: Cirque du Soleil.
0: Yep. Uh, but but for me, I fall into that, because it's the same thing. I think it's just, if that rhythm works for you, like it does for me, uh, at least to a point. Uh, then, then you can just sort of slip into this this world and really just glide along on that rhythm. If it doesn't, like it doesn't for you, Simon, it's just going to drive you nuts.
1: <laughs> well, I would say that uh, I, I now that I've given it, given it some thought, I think Sherman Palladino, from what I've seen, I still have not seen Gilmore Girls. Sorry, um, from what I've seen, is better at maintaining the pattern while varying up the characterization. That's you know, true. As you've as you've mentioned, you know, so many of these characters. Sorkin, and that's that to me, at least during those first four seasons, from what I saw, it does sometimes mean that it feels like it's devolving into a one-man circle jerk in a hall of mirrors. You know,
2: and I think what I meant too about about actors uh, that I was talking about earlier is that it's not necessarily—I wasn't trying to speak to the quality of the acting, but more the actor's unique ability to, like, okay, there are five characters written exactly the same. How can we make these five characters feel different? And I think that on the, to me at least, on the West Wing, they really did find a way to like essentially take like the same line of dialogue and deliver it five different ways. And maybe that's what I was not quite finding on the newsroom or, or anyway, it's the thing I think to praise on West Wing is a way that they, they really do find, even though the conversations, I agree, are, are very similar and the dialogue is very similar. I appreciate that the actors are able to differentiate a little bit.
0: Well, and I think just look at any of the, hugely numerous scenes where you have josh and toby talking policy together those are two characters that are written just on paper incredibly similarly Mm -hmm. and yet it does for me it feels like two distinct characters and i think that goes down to those to those performances what are some other elements of of these these sorkin years that we want to we want to highlight
2: what i am interested in is the way the interpersonal relationships work on the show. I think it does this unique thing with the romances and even some of the friendships where they're very much like on the edges of the show and they'll kind of pop back in and out. And, and it's not a show that's about tracing relationships. It's really about tracing these like ideologies. So I think Zoe and Charlie's relationship is interesting because we're never really, we're not following them courting or dating. It's, you know, one episode they come in and they have to be dating. And then a couple episodes they mention that they're not dating and, And it feels it feels kind of true to life in the way when you're in a work setting, you know, you're not constantly talking about the person you're dating. It'll certainly come up at times, but it feels on the edges of that. And I really appreciate how the West Wing chose to handle that. And again, comparing it to the newsroom, I think you can see with the newsroom, the interpersonal relationships are almost given equal weight to the um, professional relationships. And that for me did not did not work as well. Well, and that started on Studio 60 as well. Yeah, the, the which list. I secretly like. I have to admit right now.
0: Um, so away all my
2: credentials at this moment, but I have a there, soft spot in my heart for it.
1: There's a shot in the West Wing finale of of Martin Sheen watching, uh, sorry, of Aaron Sorkin watching Keb Moe at the inauguration. And it's just like, oh, my God, I'm watching Studio 60 be born <laughs> and it's making me nauseous
0: well I, studio 60 is a show for another discussion i think because i do think there's some it for another day i i there are things i like <laughs> about it there are things that drive me nuts I have some very fun memories of Studio 60, and then there's the other issues with it. And maybe, maybe this is a good time to bring up some of the casting on on The West Wing, because a big part of what I like about Studio 60 was Matthew Perry, and I think he works really well with Sorkin. And he's just one of the many guest stars who pop up. I think he's in like two episodes,
2: maybe of, even just one. Actually, yeah, definitely one or two.
0: Yeah, and he's hugely
2: memorable to me on this. What are who are the guest characters that really worked for you guys? You know, I guess technically they're not guests, but the the people I always think of for this question are all the assistants, um, like Margaret and Carol, these people that I mean, they are on the show for a long time, but you know, maybe they get 5 minutes an episode and they they somehow just with that with that longevity just build up these like beautiful characters I care about but don't really know anything about. Simon, any of them work for you? Uh, well, I don't I'm not sure
1: if any of them really stood out to me as, you know, diverging from that Sort of monotony that I mentioned. God, I feel like such a dick on this
2: one. No, it's good. We like the descent.
1: Um, I I would say though that you know we're we're it seems appropriate that we're now um, I can see it's ticking away to to almost the twenty minute mark, and we haven't really talked about the fact that three sevenths of this show isn't a Sorkin show.
0: Yep, and I think there's a reason. I think most of the people and I, Simon, you're. I think you're the exception. Most of the people sort of fall into the same camp where when you talk with the about the West Wing with them, they just assume that you mean the Sorkin years. And then if you're talking about the entire series, then they they pretty much figure you then mean the Sorkin years. And then when things get interesting again with Vinick and Sa- and Santos, and sort of there's this nebulous period of transition from over season five where you know Aaron Sorkin left. The show, he was fired, if you should say, and he exploded the show in a delightful way. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you enjoyed that, Simon, actually. Um, And then Wells had to pick up the pieces, and we have these really awkward shifts in the the last three seasons of the show. But that being said, when I was going back and watching some more of these episodes, it is astonishing to me just how good the West Wing gets again after losing its main creative voice.
1: Well, I I just... To to point out what what I enjoyed about I only managed to catch a couple episodes but I I wanted to specifically mention the debate, the episode called the debate, uh, not for the live aspect although that stuff is all very impressive, I think it's amazing that John Wells was able to create in Vinick so much more compelling and believable a rational, you, you know, a, 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 someone who is uh, you know very conservative but is also very pragmatic. Finnick is so much more believable at that than McAvoy Sorkin really should have been taking notes.
2: I don't think he was watching at that point to be uh to be fair well, he turns up like ten episodes later. that's true, but i did I do remember hearing uh that he was he was not out of any sort of malice but that it was too emotionally difficult for him to keep up with the show once he was he was gone so
1: well, that was clearly a critical error
2: <laughs> well
0: but Newsroom aside, though, that the that character, I mean, the, the, that election campaign, it really, for me, it really revitalized the show. Because we have the, this awkward transition where, and then all of a sudden, uh, CJ in season six, season six, she's the the uh, chief of staff, even though that doesn't make any sense. And we get the ridiculously terrible thing they do to Toby. I wouldn't even say that Toby does, because I don't feel like Toby would actually ever do that. Yeah. Uh, there's there's just some horrible character betrayals that happened in the last 3 seasons of the show and they just really overplay the Josh and Donna thing to an extent Where kind of I mean as much as i did ship that that couple for years <laughs> the, just the handling of that is just not very good uh, for much of the last 3 seasons but everything with Elenaalda
2: and and Jimmy Smith i think is really good And that's impressive. I totally agree. And it's interesting, Kate, because I think I'm a couple years younger than you. So I was watching the show, like, maybe the earlier parts of high school. And I actually watched, I think, the the last two seasons, maybe the last season and a half live. So that was actually my first introduction to the show. Um, And then went back, uh, and I think on those Bravo reruns, got into it more. And now, to be fair, I was, like, fairly young and also not you know, super aware of how TV works. So I don't think I quite knew the distinction between Sorkineers and non-Sorkineers. So I initially conceptualized the show, you know, just as one thing and didn't really think about it. And then I did a rewatch of the full thing last year. Um, and I agree, you can definitely feel the loss of Sorkin. Um, but I also think season five gets kind of like, Unfairly maligned at times, like there are there are definitely some really, really bad episodes, and I agree some character betrayals, but I also think that there are some like pretty decent episodes in there um, and I actually wonder if the the biggest problem with season five is that the show not that any individual episode necessarily was the problem, but that the show kind of lost its central focus. I think it was it's always a show that's strongest when it has a driving force, um, which it found again in the in the santos uh, Vinick election and you know earlier you have the president's ms being revealed and you have the president's reelection campaign uh but season five was really there was there was nothing driving that season forward and i, I think that's almost as, as big of a problem as sorkin leaving
0: i was surprised looking at the earlier seasons just how central i hadn't hadn't remembered that because i remember more the the standalone elements and then i think of all the serialized like everything with uh the MS and before that you have some of the scandal with Leo and you have mm-hmm. all these I think of those as just sort of one long story, so I don't tend to ch- you know, chunk them out in my brain when I'm thinking of individual episodes. I was surprised just how central each of those themes are like through in through the entire season. At the season two premiere in the Shadow of Two Gunmen, which I know Simon, you were less hot on, but I think is a wonderful, wonderful uh, two part episode already introduces and teases the ms thing when we have mm-hmm. the 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 doctor asking if, if there are any pre-existing conditions and it seems like it's played for a joke but really it's the president skirting that question because as you know when you rewatch you know that there's this whole thing that's going to become a season long or mm-hmm. two season long story uh and, and so even just at the very beginning of of the season Sorkin, And then later, when they introduce the campaign, there's a very clear through line. That's the other thing that, for me, distinguishes the West Wing from Sorkin's other work and ties the West Wing in with John Wells' work on ER. This is a setting that earns the import that the show gives it and uh, maybe that's not the case for for sports night and for <laughs> studio 60 and certainly not for the newsroom but when you have characters who are deciding if they're going to bomb other countries for example
2: it's okay for them to feel a little important because they should be no i think that's great uh, that's a great point and i i studied uh history in college and i had a one professor that was very adamant about drilling into us the fact that you know, all these political leaders that we read about in history were just people and, you know, fallible. They could make mistakes and they might make, you know, rash judgments and they might just be in a bad mood and and make a weird choice. And I think that's kind of like the thesis of this show is looking at the human side of, you know, this sort of political world that will one day become political history. And and, you know, how does the president being in a bad mood because he you know, one of his friends died affect his foreign policy. And I think that's, to me, is a very interesting thing to explore.
1: You know, people talk about the West Wing as a fantasy. And I I think even the people who love the show, as has already been uh, established, are willing to admit that it, let's say, parts from reality. (laughs) But I just, I find it strange how conservative a fantasy it is. Like, Sorkin drafts up another vision of American politics, and yet it still the White House is being run by a lot of middle-aged white people who talk a lot like Aaron Sorkin. Like, that's a very limited fantasy. Like, that that's why I just ultimately can't get behind the show, is just, it, it has this huge, you know, it, it has this sandbox potential of just be being, you know, you have an entire alternate United States, an entire United States government to play with, and it's a lot of Aaron Sorkin talking to himself. Just why?
0: Well, because it's not going for... Complete escapist uh, fantasy. That's not what Sorkin was going for. He was going for verisimilitude, but just with that little extra spin or twist on it. Starting with our world, and you can tell that based on what we hear. You know, if you watch some of the commentaries and the um, the special features on the DVDs, or even just read interviews with some of the different people that they regularly consulted with in order to 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 make the show as realistic in certain elements as they could. Uh, he was really going for for verisimilitude, but just he's Aaron Sorkin, so right, everybody's that's, Sorkin-y.
1: That's what gets me. It's that combination of, of verisimilitude with that you know W.G. Snuffy Walden orchestra swells. Everybody's <laughs> just trying to do their job. Lobbyists aren't really a thing. I mean, th- maybe they are in an episode or two, but they're pretty much invisible elsewhere, as far as I can tell. It's just. I don't know that pick and choose verisimilitude approach. uh, It really doesn't work for me.
2: Yeah, I think it's a point. That's a really good point, Simon. And that I did notice in rewatching that it's that it's just a very white show and a very male-heavy show. And on the one hand, obviously, yes, that is how Washington actually is. But on the other hand, like you do have this opportunity in which you are not depicting the real world, and like, wouldn't it be nice to envision a, a world that was more diverse? And like, to be fair, there there are. There are, that does feel like some intentional diversity, um, a little bit. And it does feel like CJ is kind of the mouthpiece for a lot of feminist issues, which I appreciated. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, we've got, you know, a room full of white guys making almost every other decision on the show.
0: Well, and that's something that when I was watching episodes now, I have a very different perspective mm-hmm. on *The West Wing* than I did when I was watching it the first time, and I had not yet watched any of Sorkin's other work, or uh, you know *ER*'s different thing. you know, Wells was con- trying to continue on with the characters mm-hmm. already established, so I-, I didn't know about the lady issues that uh, <laughs> that that Sorkin has. And so when when CJ is introduced. Uh, having a prat fall off of her treadmill, it was adorable and hilarious. Yeah. It's less or hilarious. Or falling into her pool. Or falling into her pool. It's less hilarious after you've seen <laughs> him
2: pull out the same thing on each of his shows. Although I do think, yes, she has a couple prat falls, but I don't know. I still think CJ is, is probably the best woman Sorkin has ever written. Okay. I haven't watched Sports Night, so I shouldn't say that as fact, but I think CJ is one of the best written female characters out there. So I have to say I will I will take the one or two Pratt Falls to get all of the good that comes with her as well.
0: Well and just I mean come on, the Jackal.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a it's a great character and, and really Allison Janey's performance is what what makes her that character really work in a way that as much as I, like we've said, I would do really, I really enjoy the, the various leading ladies of the Sorkin verse uh, to, to differing extents, but she makes CJ work and she gives a, a depth and a humanity and a believability and she, a respect
2: mm-hmm.
0: to, to CJ. So a demanding of respect to that character that is not always present in characters written this way
2: in Sorkin shows. Yeah, and I think across the board, actually, there's that same respect. Um, I think you're right that it comes from the actors, but I think of Abby Bartlett and Donna and... Recurring characters like Amy. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, that, yeah, Amy as well. And and you can really see, I mean, you can see so much of Mary Louise Parker's kind of style in that character. Um, it's just another example of these actors really, like, bringing elements of their personality to the character. But I do think that there's a lot of respect granted to the characters uh by the the actresses playing them, and I think again that speaks to to what you're saying kate about the the uh weight of this political world in which they're literally deciding you know who lives and who dies, so that that import is kind of deserved
0: well, before we run out of time completely uh, you you mentioned the score already, Simon. I do wanna you know also mention i know it's it's very stereotypical and it's very expected, but I still love it for the most part <laughs> uh and and if we all had a backing. Uh, orchestra. We probably would have done better on our presentations in school, <laughs> but um, but there are a couple other elements to the show. The walk and talk. It's something that is so in, is so common now, but really this was the show that introduced it. Mm-hmm. So hats off to them. And also, I mean the uh, the, <laughs> the just the speechifying, just these long chunks of text. I can't imagine. And you mentioned the live episode too. I can't imagine being uh, Ellen Alda or Jimmy Smiths uh, trying to do the long stren- stretches of of text they have there. But just the the difficulty level, I feel like it's not quite Deadwood difficulty, where they're handing you up all of your pages on the day that you're shooting them. Uh, though I hear there was some of that happening on The West Wing in the early seasons. But it is just a remarkable achievement. Just the whole production, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, yeah, and I I alluded to that earlier. Like on a technical level, there's really very little to fault, and on a performance level, and in certain aspects on a writing level, like it is objectively good television. I just don't <laughs> like it. <laughs>
2: I get the sense that the cast really liked each other and really liked the process. If you watch like behind the scenes interviews or, you know, they're on Ellen a couple of times. And and I think the best example is when um, John Spencer wins his Emmy. He was nominated against, I think, Dulé Hill, Bradley Whitford, Richard Schiff, maybe somebody else. Um, and he's the one that wins. And and the cast just, I mean, leaps to their feet within like, you know, a second of his name being announced. And they're so overjoyed for him. And I think there's a love it feels like it was a show that was made with love in a way that sounds very corny, but I think I think that element kind of seeps through and is is the reason that I can rewatch it as much as I have.
0: Well, and just these are actors who were, were I mean, as 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 much as they have huge fan bases and are incredibly talented, these are not the people that usually get cast to be the lead of your prestige network drama. You know, you ha- you have a Rob Lowe. Who they, you know, who is, is supposed to be, was originally supposed to be the lead, but that character was nowhere near as interesting as Josh or the president, basically, mm-hmm. as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and you have, you bring in Martin Sheen, but Bradley Whitford, I, I don't think people outside of, uh, you know, the you know, I, I, he was not well known. Alison Janney was not well known. Richard Schiff, the, I think these were people who were, you know, realized how, what quality most of the time of writing that they had to work with and characters that they had to work with and appreciated it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It feels like a process that, I mean, we keep coming back to that word respect, but that the people really, you know, respect what they're doing. And and I think you're right that they're not, you know, Richard Schiff does not look like the traditional leading man. And so it's nice to see him, you know, succeed and, and find find such a fan base on this show.
0: Well, do we have any episodes? I should rephrase that. I have episodes <laughs> I want to mention. Which episodes would you guys like to mention?
2: I want to hear what Simon thinks
1: <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, I, I mean, I would turn to the debate one just as I would love to. I, I would love to know what the show would have turned out like had Wells been handed the reins from the beginning. Just because. Maybe it was just because I, I watched so many of the Sorkin episodes first, like on the same 48, 72 hour time span. But there's something about watching those actors and those characters. Um, just be released from from the Sorkiness of it all a little bit, and it, they they actually feel a little bit more like human beings. Like just as a, as an exercise, try flitting from an early episode to a late one, and forget about the character betrayals or whatever. Just watch the performances. You'll notice they feel a little bit more like actual humans. Mm-hmm.
0: Ahem, until Josh is leaving his job to sit by Donna's bedside because she happened to get exploded because she happened to... Right, but no, I'm, I'm not I'm not just, talking
1: about plot points just, here. I'm talking about performance style.
0: Well, yeah, but I'm sorry. I wish John Wells had written the show from the
2: beginning. Come on. <laughs> Although you, it does call back to a conversation they had earlier where where he said he would, like, not stop for anything if she was hit by a car. They, like, specifically have that conversation mm-hmm. in, like, mm-hmm. season two or three. And then, you know, I mean, it's through an odd set of circumstances that uh, Josh gets to prove his word. So
1: any episodes you would like to mention, Caroline?
2: <laughs> I have to say, I mean, there's uh, there's many. I could, you know, give you, like, a list of 20. But the one that, that I always come back to is the Stackhouse filibuster, which is, I mean, it's essentially... Like, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, the West Wing episode, and it's corny and sentimental. uh, And yet it feels to me so deserved and lovely and makes me want to go out and, you know, fight injustice Um, and really funny. I don't know if we've talked about that as much, but I I think the show's very funny. Um, So Stackhouse Filibuster, to me, kind of has all that stuff covered.
0: Yeah, it's a really funny show, and uh, I I was laughing out loud most of the episodes just for some element of it. And these are all episodes that I've seen before, so that's you know saying something as well. I would have to point to the Christmas episodes and the yeah. Thanksgiving episodes too. They're all wonderful, and uh, you know, come on, Yo Yo Ma, right? Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. And th- th- this that episode Noël in season two. I loved the Christmas episode in season one, which was the Richard Schiff. Spotlight episode. Then you had the Bradley Whitford spotlight episode in season two. They got the John Spencer spotlight episode in season three. I mean, Aaron Sorkin can write a Christmas episode, Uh, but I particularly that that sequence with with the Bach Prelude interspersed with the therapy session. This was the episode that introduced me to Adam Arkin. Uh, Yeah. for, For years, he was oh yeah, he was the guy. He was the shrink on The West Wing. Much like you know, George Fox was the the. Secret Service agent on the West Wing and Elizabeth Moss was Zoe Bartlett yeah. for years and years and years. It, ind-
1: it's so weird, by the way, to see her as like the adorable daughter.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I w- so I would point to the Christmas episodes, like I already said, the In the Shadow of Two Gunmen, that that just that image of Josh gut shot and nobody knows he's there is just in my mind it just is is written there and just going back and watching the opening of that sequence where toby finds him and he falls over i was just like insty tears it's like it all came yeah, rushing no, back
2: I, think, I could write a dissertation on the there's like an acting moment richard Schiff has where he kind of looks at josh like oh no you're shot also i'm kind of disappointed in you because you didn't ask for help also i'm like worried there's like so many things you can see in his mind that he is somehow Conveying in a single look, so I, I agree that that moment's a standout.
0: Then, of course, you have the more comedic episodes, like the block of cheese episode. You have uh, the the just as a um to to get a little tiny bit political here. I just love the the biblical dress down of <clears throat> the anti-gay speech uh thing we got from the president. I mean, there's there's just so many little touches, uh, or, or there's so many episodes that just I. Can recall. I I don't know the episode titles the way I do for like a Buffy or or some of these other shows, but the fill in the blank episode, the the
2: uh, Amy gets drunk with the first lady episode. Oh, for so example. great! Yes. Oh, wait. And I just watched that one. It's called Dead Irish Writers. Oh, it's wonderful. Season three. Yeah, amazing.
0: And I also think it had a good finale too. I I already said it, I thought it was a really really strong pilot, but I think the the finale works really well too. And uh, it was something Simon and I were talking about just watching the the whole story basically start up again with the, with the Santos administration just really underlined for me that I would never, ever, 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 ever want either of
2: those jobs, president <laughs> or first lady. Just no.
0: <laughs> or
1: ex-president, for
2: that matter. Or ex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I last night decided to watch the finale immediately followed by the pilot, which I don't think I've ever had more, like, emotional whiplash in my life because I, I mean... I just love these characters so much. So I'm like weeping through the finale and, you know, it's like the saddest thing in the world to me that they have to leave. And then I immediately jump into this, you know, pilot where everyone's young and not quite themselves yet. So that I would recommend that for anyone who wants a new West wing watching experience. And it just sort of nice little, you know, leave on a happier note,
0: maybe, you know, especially with uh, the, the, I mean, they're really, they very successfully, they, I don't. I would. I feel wrong saying pull on the the heartstrings with the the Bartlett for an American napkin, but such a wonderful nod to to the loss of John Spencer. Uh, the way they handled that was uh, surprisingly deft. And then, of course, as a somebody who you know likes to go to watch the election results come in, parties the yeah. the, the fact that they made a whole storyline with a Barack Obama stand in running for president against a uh john mccain stand-in and then two years later we got to watch the you
2: know
0: there there are lots of
2: elements to, to this yes, show someone has I a enjoy. time machine something that they that that i don't know i always think that that's a little creepy that they so accurately predicted uh
0: america's yeah. political future but well do we have any i mean there's so much we haven't even scraped the surface on <laughs> and I, the w- one thing that i guess i want to come back to before we finish, Caroline, you said, er, mentioned earlier that you enjoyed the treatment of the relationships mm-hmm. and and that most of that is off screen and that for me is a big thing that I really appreciate in, in the Sorkin years that is not maybe quite as well handled in the Wells years, though I do think they ended up handling a lot of that pretty well. It actually reminded me of X-Files which I keep coming back to that in the last past couple of weeks, how I loved the, the handling of that relationship mostly being off screen on the X-Files. I love that In the end, towards the end, you find out that there's this whole, like, backstory of Toby and CJ, which is kind of occasionally hooking up off screen and we didn't know about it. Hmm. And there's, there's, uh, you know, of course with all the, they they have their forever couple with Josh and Donna, but, you know, we have Mallory and Sam and they have, you know, some flirtation, some sort of relationship, but then that doesn't really come together. Same thing with Charlie and Zoe and, uh, and, and even just the doomed romance of, uh, of CJ and Simon. Uh, Carmen.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But then, yeah. and then CJ and Danny as well as the other kind of like surprise power couple of the West Wing.
0: Yeah, I just you know, and and when you look at power couples, uh, also I I do want to specifically mention Stalker Channing because I think mm-hmm. she's such a great partner for you. You have Martin Sheen, you gotta have somebody who can you know stand up next to that when he's going full two cathedrals on you. You need to be able to have someone who can <laughs> counterbalance that, and she works so well. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. The the relationships, the way that they're handled on the show, and the the commitment to them, I guess I would say as being parts of these characters lives but not the only soul defining Mm -hmm. element to them and uh, then uh, then as a viewer my relationship with those characters that's what I take away from the west wing I think more than anything else
2: yeah and I'll jump on that and say you know in addition to the romantic relationships I think there's just really beautiful friendships that really kind of you know cross over from professional colleagues to like genuine friends. And and if you look at um Leo and the president, there's these, there are these beautiful moments where they'll just say like, I love you, or they'll say I love him, or they'll kind of like hug or kiss. And and it's not played as a joke. It's just like that's their relationship. And I think that to me is just really beautiful to watch. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, across the board, there's moments where um, you know, where Josh needs someone and Donna will step in or Sam will step in and and I, I really I do think the relationships of of all colors, romantic and otherwise are, are what I always come back to as well.
0: Well, and they don't feel the need to have the, the gay panic joke, like certain Sherlocky seasons tend to have all of them. Uh, And and also just that, you know, yes, we find out later that there was this whole thing that may or may not have been happening with CJ and Toby, but we have really lovely platonic Mm -hmm. relationships as well between the male and female characters. And that's,
2: an unfortunately rare thing on my television yeah and female and female as well i actually think cj and donna like their friendship was never central to the show but they get some great scenes to play off each other and it's not a show that that necessarily pits women against each other even though i could see it easily easily going that direction and saying well there's very few women of course they'll be competitive but i actually think for the most part they find ways to let the women support each other like that episode where amy and the first lady and a couple other girls all get drunk together. There's, you know, it's, it's supportive and not catty at all.
0: Yeah. Simon, any other final thoughts on the West Wing?
2: Two
1: final thoughts. One, I don't know whether it's ER or this show that's responsible, but whichever one is responsible for the deployment of Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah in season finales. Oh, (laughs) that should never have started because that's just been abused so much. I think it was probably ER, but this definitely helped popularize it. Anyway, second point, I will retract every single statement i made on this show and watch all 156 episodes 156 times if and only if international leaders hash out a serious issue by quoting the Pirates of Penzance at each other.
2: <laughs> all right, political leaders, if you're listening, please get on that. Because, yeah, I,
0: Simon needs to, you know, be forced through these episodes because yeah. it would be hilarious <laughs> to, to just observe. I, I did think of another one before I th- throw to you, uh, Caroline, for our final West Wing thought. Uh, Charlie and his prank war is oh, so wonderful, good. and I love that, that is, he's a character that gets to actually have some fun uh, on occasion. And uh, also, I mean, the charmed TV life of Dulé Hill, right? Straight oh, from the West Wing to Psych. <laughs>
2: And oh. such different characters. Like, watching him on Psych, I was shocked. I had no idea he was as broad and ridiculous as, as he is on that show. Definitely. Well, what are your final thoughts, Caroline, to take us out of The West Wing? You know, it's a show that I I genuinely think I could just rewatch for infinity. And each time I watch, and as I get older as well, I feel like I get more out of the episodes than I think when I was younger and first watching them. It was really about the relationships, you know. And Josh and Donna was, you know, everything to me. And then now, as I'm getting older, I can tie more. I can tie into the political debates, and I can identify with CJ's kind of feminist rally. Um, so I do think it's the rewatchability that that will, you know, keep me watching the show. Um, it's it's there's so much in each episode, and so much to mine. They're they're crammed full. I think you could easily argue it's a show that's you know overstuffed. But to me, that I just enjoy it because I can watch it again and again and get something out of it each time.
0: I could not have said it better myself. And so we will leave off love it or hate it. <laughs> it yeah. is The West Wing is the West Wing, and there's no other show like it. Uh, so so I look forward to hearing from our listeners, either uh, saying that Simon's crazy or that we are, Caroline. Either way, it, it should be fun. Let us know where you fall on the West Wing, everyone. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us. Where can our listeners find you online?
2: Yeah, they can find me at Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Caroline Sita, and that is spelled C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E. S-I-E-D-E, impossible to say, impossible to spell. Um, but there it is, Caroline Sita. And then I write for the AV Club as well.
0: Well, thank you again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Television.